The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, hello, world, and welcome back to Solid 7 Podcast, a better than average podcast. If I do say so myself, I am, of course, your humble host, Kale, and welcoming back to the podcast with me this week, Mr. Colin Bruce, and the crowd goes wild. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Uh, Now, lest we throw some people off... uh, (laughs) <laughs> with the uh, welcoming back of Colin Bruce, an astute listener will say, I don't recall a Colin Bruce. And you would be correct-ish. Colin last appeared under a, a little a little nom de plume. There's a little, little you were Colin uh, Melendez last time. There's a little inside joke there that I have no intention of letting <laughs> letting listeners in on. But as we've been known to do occasionally for a listener, Around here, you were just uh, in a position professionally at the time that uh, required a little extra discretion, and uh, that's no longer the case. And so here you are as your full, beautiful, Brucey self. Indeed. Welcome back, <clears throat> sir. Yeah, part, partly attributed to my prior profession and uh, partly attributed to my current employer. And uh, they're both... Uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> that's probably just yeah, why not? Way to say that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I look, I love my prior profession, I love my current employer. I, I have a very good job, I'm very pleased. I, I am incentivized to keep a uh, pretty low profile, so yeah, that's why. So, hey, sometimes it's not, it's not more complicated. Sometimes, uh, though, I, I believe, uh, you know, my pal and yours, Jesse Kelly, would disagree with us, would be disappointed. In a sometimes uh, discretion is the better part of valor. Correct. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're you're yeah. no rookie here. You're a returning guest. You're a regular listener, and so you know as well as anyone that we are, of course, as always, fueled by Jocko Go here. So uh, let's get a little little crackage going. Get a little clean American fuel Indeed. flowing through Me. the veins here. Flick my can top there. And get into it. Now, uh, you know, uh, I'm known to delve into the occasional unintentional Jocko Fuel commercial, um, despite we're, of course, ambassadors for Jocko Fuel, but not not sponsored. And that's okay. We're working our way towards it. We're, you know, we're we're playing it slow, taking our relationship one step at a time. But uh I'm just such a fan that uh, sometimes I just can't help myself. And today is no different because as I, I talked about with my uh, my buddy, uh, Josh Rush, uh, last week, um, 
Jacko Fuel has just released a product that their uh, their CPO, uh, Brian Littlefield, actually teased on the podcast here with us, which we now know is their uh, their new supplement, Time War. And my first box came in the mail today. So you know, it, you couldn't let it it couldn't let it ship alone. It's got to have a friend. So it uh, came with a, came with a little Jocko creatine, and uh, they've actually got a little promo going right now, where for orders over a certain amount, you get a free ice shaker, like the brand ice shaker. Um, nice. Which was actually on Shark Tank. It was uh, the Gronkowski brothers actually developed it, and they ended up getting a deal with. They had offers from everybody, but they did a deal with A Rod and Mark Cuban, and so yep. uh, got a free little uh, Jocko Fuel branded ice shaker. So just a win, win, win. All the way around. So if when next you see me, Brucey, I'm I'm looking younger, <laughs> I'm looking more more vital. Uh, I'm sure it's because of uh, my inclusion of Time War uh, in the old regimen. Gotta- it's easy to be a fan when they make such good things, you know. And it's not like, you know, we make specialized bicycle pedals. I mean, it's useful stuff that really enhances your life on the day to day and. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to not be a fanboy because they keep hitting it out of the park, and it doesn't taste horrible either. That's all. That's a big thing yeah. for me. Like I'm not choking anything down. No. And it's always. I mean, their flavors keep getting better, even in a flavor. You know, they, they, so they're continuing to improve existing flavors. And I mean, it's uh, and and the stuff works. I mean, yeah. it's uh, yeah, all it's the great. way around. Yeah, Jocko Go, delicious. Mulk, mm-hmm. and it doesn't delicious. drop you either. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's it's so. I'm uh. I'm a fan, but uh, Same. well, once again, and I went back and listened to uh, our episode the first time you were on the the podcast here, and uh, kind of you know uh, Colin CV former former law enforcement on a on a few different levels, um, working <clears throat> in tech at a pretty high level these days. Um, I, I have you explain what you do to me pretty much every time we talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, I'm still still not sure I, I get it, but uh, doing some some uh, fraud prevention stuff on on the tech side for one of the big boys. I, I assume we need to still just leave that at that. We do. Uh, that's that's the that's the judicious call. But yeah, high level fraud analytics, machine learning training, um, high high very high level risk detection and emerging risk trends. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the best way to sum it up. And I, I'm very fortunate. I work for a very small but elite team of just just pipe hitters in 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 but in the tech world. I mean, they are just everybody brings their A game every day. And not only are they hard workers, but they're just big brain, wrinkle brain folks that that love what they do and are intuitive about it. So. No, it's real good. It's real good. So some some cool stuff, and uh, you know, possibly at least as interesting, if not more interesting, uh, with Colin uh, than his professional CV is just his many varied passions and hobbies uh, that he applies his uh, wildly above average intellect to. <laughs> Um, to varying degrees of entertainment and annoyance for those of us who know him and love him. Pray for his <laughs> lovely wife. He married way up, and now she's stuck. Um, 
And, uh, but uh, no, good to have you back on buddy. And on, on short notice, that's what I was getting. At. I was listening to the last episode, just saying, you know, Hey, let's, let's keep it fresh. And, uh, you know, and, and talked about it on that episode, you know, one of my, one of my best friends, somebody who, uh, was always going to be a podcast guest. And for whatever reason, it took us longer than it should have been for you to come on the first time. It was longer than it should have been for this one. And that's just the way things go. But, uh, this is actually, the two-year anniversary episode of the podcast. Get out! It of was here. two years ago um, this week, uh, as this releases that we that we launched the podcast with episode one. Now, if you're if you're counting, no, uh, one oh three isn't equal to um, <laughs> to two years. However, did take one week off in that two years. One week off. Uh, and played a classic episode, hence us being at uh, at 103. Actually, we fudged the numbers a little bit because there was a 19 and a half in there because of a promise made to go live for our 20th episode. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so it's kind of like when you're counting down as a kid, uh, you're like, you know, 19 three quarters. But uh, so no, it's been two years. And, and not that you're not a guest befitting our two year episode. I would never imply that. I'll just outright say it. Um, but uh, had just an awesome guest uh, lined up for this week, um, a, a, a really successful um, author and was really excited about it. And I'm not going to lie, uh, was cramming to finish reading through and making my own notes on their book, which regular listeners know very unlike me to put in a lot of heavy prep for an episode. I like it to be raw. I like to discover the conversation uh, with the guest and with the listeners. And I, I put in the time on this one uh, only to have uh, illness kind of take it right out from uh, under our feet today. You know, it ha it happens. So, I heard you were having a good time with that book, though. Yeah. So, no, and I don't want to say what it is because it would tip our hand to yeah, no. the future guests. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. leave it. And, uh, you know, these things happen. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, to give them a, a hard time. We'll, we'll reschedule. No. We're going to make it happen. I'm still stoked for it. And I'll probably read back through the book again. It was that good just to uh, to, to keep yep. it fresh for that episode. But, uh, you know, that as, as one does, <laughs> uh, you know, I went straight to uh, my uh, handy dandy group chat with the boys uh, to uh, lament, to to sing my, 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 you know, swing low, sweet chariot. And... Uh, <laughs> Colin's like, hey, man, I I'm free. Let's do it, and, and hopped right in. And here we sit. And as we do on the Solid 7 podcast, we're not, we're, not here to, we're not here to cry. This isn't a sob story. I'm not a victim. I'm not going to shortchange you, the listener. No, this is still going to be a fire episode. That's just <laughs> what happens. You roll with it. What would Jocko say? Good. Okay, good. We yeah. get to talk to... Last-minute guest cancellation, good. We get to talk to Colin. Yeah, still show-prepped, I might add. You still and I show still prepped. show prepped. Probably No excuses. Probably a little too much. Now, mo most <laughs> of the recurring guests, um, you know, I, I share. Regular listeners know I share a little show prep doc, and it's not, it's not a script. It's not set in stone. It's normally a, a list of bullet points. Uh, just to maybe guide the conversation. Sometimes we get to all of them. Sometimes we get to none of them, except for when it's Colin. And then it's this <laughs> long list of 
links and data and technical terms. And I like this. I, I love the challenge of this um, as a podcast host to try and rein you in and dumb this stuff down for me, for me to understand what oh, it is you're, gonna under- you're, you're talking about at any stinking time. I was also listening, listening. Now, listeners, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to Colin's previous episode, I don't remember the number. A better podcast host would, sure, but that's not why any of us are here. Uh, you know, just search Colin and it'll be Melendez and that that's him. And I was just laughing, dude, because the at the end of it, we were doing, you know, the whole we've got to do this again sometime. And we were joking about the things we didn't cover that we would cover the next time, some of which are actually on our list for this week. But no we were kidding. we were mocking the concept, uh, which was like motor oil and shearing and uh mechanical watches. And I was just mocking the whole concept. I'm like, I'm bored already and we haven't my listens are down already and we haven't even recorded the episode yet. It's literally how we ended it last yeah, time yeah. you were on. So but uh, no. Well, I will keep uh, this at a high-level senior VP overview. You know, we'll keep it juicy. <laughs> uh, we'll keep it juicy for so. our, for our beloved audience. And uh, no, I'm with you. I um, uh, at my work, it's often said that when somebody's having a data discussion, you can't you don't you don't get to invite yourself in and then just present an anecdote. You have to bring data to be a part of that discussion. Um, so I am. In, and I've, I've been this way since long before I had this job, but but I'm inclined to seek out nuance and granularity and uh, to kind of probe that <clears throat> to make sure I don't have any blind spots. But, uh, you know, being married will kind of fix that a little bit because, yeah. you know, you watch the eyes roll back and you're like, okay, I lost the one person who loved me. So you've got to reel your wife back in. Yeah, no, that's definitely one way to approach things. What I lean towards is just – um, saying things with confidence and seeing what sticks. And, uh, that's, that's been working. Okay. For me so far now, you know, you, you uh, employ it well, we've got, uh, you know, an awesome stable of regulars here at the solid seven podcast. And part of why it's a, a rotation is everybody brings uh, something a little different to the table. Right. And, uh, Collins one, uh, that we go to when we really want to be geeks, when you really want to kind of nerd out, um, on, on tech in particular, I mean, we could get into all kinds of different things. Certainly there's, uh, you know, an automotive streak to you, uh, stuff like that. But, uh, uh, you know, some things we overlap on, some we don't, some we don't, some I can hang with you on. And some, uh, if I start losing, uh, uh we don't agree on everything. Uh, no, but that, that would be so boring and, and borderline. Uh, that's how horror movies start, right? Yeah. That's that's where you end up with a cult and people wearing the same clothes and everybody thinks the same way. So no, I don't. I don't have a single friend, uh, uh, who and nor and I'm glad I don't. Um, uh, you know, who, I'm just going to cut that audio right there and use that oh, as I a know, clip. Right? right? I don't have a single friend. Oh, we know. Kyle. No friends. We know. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So well, uh, let's talk about your 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 technology that has recently failed you. And it's a pretty cool piece of tech. Yeah, when we were, I'm very excited about this. Yeah, when we were catching up earlier today, trying to say, okay, well, if we're going to record tonight, kind of, kind of roadmap and just making sure that we could have uh, an interesting conversation tonight. Um, 
you know, wearables are something you and I have geeked out on together for a long time. Mm -hmm. And one of my coolest uh, wearable pieces of tech has been my aura ring for mm -hmm. a, a long time. And so, and I've talked about it some on here before, um, but listeners that aren't familiar with it, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a ring. I, I wear it on my ring finger. I wear it as my, my wedding ring. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's not what my wife put on my finger at the ceremony. I've only had it for a few years. We've been married longer than that. But it's just as, as minimalist as a health tracker could be without potentially being the mark of the beast. And uh, so just uh, it, it looks like a normal ring. There's not bulk to it. It's not, it's not really weird. You can't tell that it's not a perfect circle unless you look very closely at it. And mine was the second generation. I think the third generation might just be round. Um, but it just got, has some really, for, for what it is, um, packed a lot of battery life. Um, it's just an inductive charger. So, I mean, you just set it on this little charger once every five to seven days and that's all you nice. need. You can wear it the rest of the time. And most of it up until this new generation, the, the, the gen two that I had, it's been focused mostly on sleep health. So, so tracking the phases of your sleep, but, uh, also, uh, it was tracking body temperature, um, track, uh, tracking respiratory rate. Um, does it do blood oxygen? It, the new one might, I'd have to look up the specs on the gen three, the gen two did not, but it was collecting okay. enough day, data that during, uh, you know, when we were all uh, still treating COVID like it was real, um, the NBA was actually putting it on players because yeah. it, it had enough data and it was specific enough that it could, detect COVID, I want to say maybe even earlier than you would pop positive on a test just by the yeah, change was, in your biometrics. Exactly. Um, it's doing it mechanically, like through the actual physiological changes in your body long before you became symptomatic or felt crappy. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. some really neat, um, some really neat data, some, some really cool ways to use it. One thing that it, that it did track and, and kind of what I, I look to it more for uh, seeing what impacts sleep in what ways is, has always been very interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. but it also would just kind of, Oh, HRV was the other thing it was tracking. Um, no, gotcha. and okay. HRV is a great metric for recovery and training. Um, mm -hmm. ver much better. HRV is heart rate variability. So it's literally the amount of time between beats. And actually when you're, when you're more recovered from, uh, strenuous output, basically physical output, there's actually a greater variation in the time between your heartbeats, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, or at least it always has to me. But as your body is more stressed and going through recovery, it actually becomes more regular. And so you can track that. And it's a great mm -hmm. stat to help uh, kind of customize your training and know on any given day, oh, I, I can go hard today, or I, I need to dial it back, maybe do a recovery day. Um, or maybe do something more more moderate and kind of avoid overtraining. So just some some really neat data with it. Uh, Peter Atia, who I've mentioned on here a, a ton, uh, he's got a, a new book coming out soon that I, I'm super stoked for. He was an advisor on the Chris Hemsworth special um, mm -hmm. on Nat Geo, Limitless. Um, really smart guy. He's he's an investor and he's uh, an advisor and I think even on their board. Um, so uh, Peter Atia, Tim Ferriss, kind of how I think Aura kind of got on my radar. And I've uh, just been really, really happy with it. But the the sad reality that we live in currently is that rechargeable batteries, um, just they've got a half-life. And uh, yeah. we, we've come to the end of, of the life of the battery of my aura. I can still, like if I want to charge it, 
basically daily. I mean, maybe I could get two nights out of it right now off one charge, which isn't awful. But part of the convenience of it was just set it and forget it, just leaving it on uh, yeah. and getting, getting that data. Um, so the, the thing is though, and I've, I've been a fan, I like the tech, the execution is good. Um, their algorithms around, um, the sleep stages, of course it's on your hand. They're doing it based on movement, um, are pretty, pretty good. I mean, they've, they've published their data comparing that, you know, to kind of the gold standard, uh, you know, in clinic sleep studies and they track fairly well with those things. Um, you know, I've, I've used a, a few different versions of sleep tracking. Of course, I've, um, I've got an Apple watch series seven. Of course they've, they've added sleep tracking into that. Obviously, again, that's going to be motion based. There's a, a cool app I've used for a long time, uh, on the phone, um, that, uh, I've been a fan of and actually would for the longest time, you'd put it on your side of the bed on the mattress, like under your pillow, and it would track movement that way. And then it switched to, you can pick which one you want, but it would just use the microphone to detect movement and was smart enough with its algorithms to differentiate between you and somebody on the far side of the bed. So it would not track your, your partner or your spouse's movement. Um, really, really cool stuff. And I still use that one because it's a smart alarm where it does a wake up zone. Yeah. Uh, and it's just got, it's got a function, a snooze function where I'm sorry, Jocko, sometimes I snooze. I'm sorry. Uh, but just moving the phone, just any motion of the phone will snooze. And I dig that. Um, so all that to say, I, there's been variation in all, th if I ran, if I ran all three of those, if I wore the aura watch, if I ran that app on the phone and if I wore, wore my Apple watch, they'd all come up with different amounts of deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, uh, all that type of stuff. But all that to say, Aura has shown theirs to be relatively accurate in comparison to to the gold standard clinical stuff, and you know they all the all these trackers kind of come at things a little bit different. But well, and uh, it's also a tough little device. It's completely waterproof, as I understand. Oh it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you can like live your life <clears throat> with that thing. I mean, the downside to I'm not going to pick on Fitbit because they also make a great product. But, you know, the downside to devices like Fitbit, of which they were the first, so I give them a ton of credit. But, like, you know, they have, you know, bands and yeah, Apple Watch too, right? You know, they, they have bands. They can get, you know, what, you know, watch mechanical watch people call wrist cheese. They can, If they're cloth, they can get discolored. They can get stained. They can get stinky. You got to clean them. And the thing with this ring where every surface is very hard. And it's impregnable. It's completely sealed. It's, just, it's on your hand when you wash your hands. So, like every time you wash your hands, you're washing your ring too, and it's just really easy. Yeah. So I, I I've been a fan. I I don't think I'm fairly confident right now. Um, just prior, you know, financial priority wise, I'm not going to replace it. Um, mm -hmm. the the new version, it's got some some added functionality. And it, it, they are completely round, um, which, which is cool. I mean, it's just even more, it was already sleek to begin with. It's now even more so. Um, but they're, they're just, um, they're not giving them away. And here recently, in addition to it already being a pricey uh, wearable, um, they've added a monthly subscription. So you can still get some basic data and tracking from it for free. But to like fully unlock its potential, you're paying a monthly fee. So this is in addition to like the base price on these things is two ninety nine. 
Um, the finish that I liked, which is the stealth, which is just a different finish. Uh, actually, there's a, a slightly different uh, shape to the ring. Maybe I'm wrong. So there's a few, like there's a few different versions of, of finishes and stuff here. Um, mm -hmm. But you're going to pay anywhere from $299 to $499 for one of these things. And then they want a monthly fee on top of that, which just mm -hmm. feels, you know, a little ballsy. <laughs> It feels yeah. a little bit like the tip jar at Starbucks. Um, it is pretty aggressive. It's you almost want them to better map out, have a better roadmap in the beginning. Like if they started saying it's going to be, you know, one ninety nine a month or whatever the monthly fee is, and then their thing, you already you already accept that. But it's kind of like they come to a determination that their business model wasn't really going to work as it was, and they had to modify it. And it's it's you know. Yeah. You and I are old enough that you owned things. <clears throat> this concept of a of a subscription fee was reserved for your phone and your long distance telephone calls and maybe cable. Uh, I know you and I both had antennas for a while, so there wasn't even a cable bill. But right, you know what I mean. Like so, this concept of uh, of having a device and paying a non trivial sum for it and functionally being locked out of that device is it's a very new trend uh it's very new now i know why they do it because they've got software developers and they've got all kinds of other stuff on the back end they got to be able to budget all that and plan that out but it's still a it's it's tough pill to swallow well the my I, I think part of what's extra annoying here is that they're they're trying to they want to have their cake and eat it too so if you look mm -hmm. at in this exact same place, what has become a very popular and very big player, particularly with like professional and high level athletes is the whoop strap. W H O O P. They're My buddy on, Courtney told me about that. They're on like, I think they're fourth gen. It's mm -hmm. awesome tech. It's highly accurate. Um, it's, it's a, it's a wrist wearable, but very low profile. There's no face on it. There's no display. So you're only going to yep. use this in conjunction with, uh, you know, some other device like your phone, um, but, and they charge a monthly fee, but the wearable is free. You do the yeah. subscription and the the wearable is free and I'm okay. I, I get it. And that allows, that gives me wiggle room then to keep that tech current as the new generations come out too. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, now, Aura, you're wanting that subscription fee and you want me to drop three or $400 on the new generation or when the battery dies. Um, and I mean, Hey, to their credit as a current user, when they drop this new gen, you know, I got an email, I could have gotten like $50 off the new generation and have gotten the subscription stuff for free for a lifetime or something. Uh, but even then my battery life was still good. I'm like, I, I don't know that I, I need or want to spend another 250 or 350, even at the discounted rates. Uh, yeah. Right now, to get this new functionality, not all of the new functionality was live at launch. I think it is now. So, like some of what they added before, it was doing heart rate while you were sleeping. Now it's doing heart rate twenty four seven. It wasn't doing any kind of workout tracking. Now it does. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to the um, the calorie stuff, they've added like activity goals. So, you know, looking to be in line with like you know Apple watches closing your rings and and that stuff. So again, I mean, it's it's a cool device. It's cool functionality. It's amazing what they pull off in the size. Um, it doesn't look 
like they're doing O2, which doesn't surprise me. That would be so hard to pull off in that tiny little package. It would. And I know the Apple, is it the Apple Watch SE, the current generation that does, it might be the only of the Apple Watches that does it. It's the expensive Apple Watch. Um, well, I think that does O2, but they had to, no, sure I've got like I've got SEs more, the more pared down. I, I think the oh, SE okay. probably actually doesn't. Um, they added oh, so like I've got O2 sensing on mine, so I, I believe they added okay. it with Series Seven. Um, yeah, I can't remember if they added more with Series Eight. I know they've been. I know Apple's the rumor mill is that Apple's working very hard on um, blood uh, sensing blood glucose levels. Um, yeah non-obtrusively without a prick um they'll sell a trillion of those oh my gosh for t1d folks i mean yeah I, I frankly would like to be able to track mine just to see how i react to different foods that i eat i mean that would be great yes, dude, uh, and i am needle phobic too so, yeah like. tracking your your blood glucose levels and uh and kind of um by that your uh, insulin sensitivity and really dialing in how you react to different foods uh, because, uh, on an individual level, you will respond differently to, as an individual to different types of carbohydrates and different types of sugars, um, is wildly valuable in dialing in and customizing your diet to yourself. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, and I'll, I'll give, uh, Dr. Bland a hard time about this next time he's on. Um, <laughs> but it's just the medical community just hasn't caught up on it yet. Um, there, there's nothing special about these continuous glucose monitors. Um, it, it's, it's not like it involves, it can inform an insulin pump, but it's not an insulin, it's not, um, you know, dosing in a med, any medication or anything like that. And yeah, exactly. Uh, rather, it's not going to trigger a bolus alone. It's yeah. going to tell you what you should do. Well, yeah. and, you know, at last time I was at my, uh, primary care, which admittedly he's, he's closer to the end of his career than the start of it. Um, but I asked about writing me a prescription for a CGM because you can't, they're not OTC for some stupid reason. Um, yeah. and, uh, he's like, no, you, you don't need that. I'm like, no, I, I, I get that my, you know, my A1C and all those numbers are fine. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to see the data and he's like, uh, no, I, I just, I wouldn't be comfortable doing it. Uh, like it's going to hurt you. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, you know what's going to take more time and effort for your practice? Transferring my file somewhere. <laughs> Transferring you know, right? my data to yeah. a, another, which I, I haven't left over that, but I also haven't you know, it, back. So that, that type of, <clears throat> we're going to, sorry, Dr. Bland, uh, we're going to pick on the medical community for just a second. That type of recalcitrant thinking, it, it's, it strikes me in a similar vein as like BMS. Uh, or sorry, BMI, uh, body mass index. Uh, you know, I am built um, uh, uh, more like a linebacker than not. I've got very broad shoulders. I'm average height, but my hips are wide. My shoulders are broad. Um, and um, and I've got good bone density. So a healthy weight for me is clinically emaciated. Like it's clinically emaciated. <laughs> so, you know, if, but if you just go by body mass index, which, you know, is just height and there's a, there's a, a, a chart of you're this yeah. tall and you're this old, you should weigh X much. And I'm thinking that doesn't comprehend body types and, 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 and the different things. Like I would expect 
a rugby player or someone that played soccer with like big old thighs, powerful legs to have a functionally different BMI than someone who say is a triathlete, right? So doing, 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 you know, they, they kind of need to, right. You don't need all that muscle when you're running a trillion miles and biking a trillion miles and swimming a trillion miles, but you kind of need it when you're like locking legs with these other powerful people, you need to kick a ball the country mile. So, but it doesn't mean that one's more healthy than the other or whatever, but I don't like that someone has to get excluded from that. They can't just understand a little bit more about you. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm a little concerned right now in that you're, you're treading very close to the Lizzo line of fat is beautiful. <laughs> and I don't think that's what your intention is, but no, no, I mean, no B, BMI, <clears throat> you know, you take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. I, I think a lot of people want to say, want to discount their BMI number in that because they know that there are some people for whom it doesn't really work. Um, mm-hmm. and, you, and most of us aren't that people. <laughs> and, uh, and yes, yeah. the bad grammar was unintentional. It works for the, the vast majority of the populace. It's, it's a blunt instrument. It's roughly accurate. Um, if yeah. you're, if you're more active, more athletic, uh, more muscular, the numbers tend to fall apart. BMI doesn't work for BMI would tell you every, um, you know, high level amateur bodybuilder and beyond is obese. And of course, well, every NFL your, player is yeah. clinically obese. Yeah. Well, and some BMI. of those, some of those boys are, <laughs> well, no, some of them are, I'm talking about like the wide receivers yeah. and the, and the outside linebackers, like the, you know, dudes who look like built like they're Greek gods, like Adonis. Uh, and, uh, and they would be clinically obese according to BMI. So now I'm with you. I've, I've been poorly served by BMI since I was about 18. Uh, when I, when I hit my growth spurt and I started to, my shoulders started to broaden and my chest did. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like it because a, it's the, the extremely categorical nature of it makes it difficult to devise a health plan for you. It's just like, here's where you are on the chart. And I would be much happier with an actual doctor saying, well, you carry, you're carrying too much weight in your midsection and you've got this thing going on and your right knee is get, doing more work than it needs to. And I can tell you got some swelling there or something like that, as opposed to pointing to the chart like a teacher in third grade. Yeah. You know, well, and the, I, the challenge is, yeah, and I, you know, we got into this a lot with Dr. Bland a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, with him being a, a board certified in obesity medicine um, mm-hmm. and something that I, I geek out on thoroughly. Yeah. Are you going to be better served by um, going and maybe doing an in body scan, which is just a more advanced impedance where, you know, it's got the sensors for your hands and, and for your feet and it's passing, you know, a mild electrical signal through you. Sure. Um, are you going to be much better served by doing something like a DEXA scan where you're going to know exactly where the fat is, how much of it there is, and it can't hide. So, uh, you know, like if you hear the phrase skinny fat, where somebody uh, by BMI, they might come out very well. They're not necessarily yeah. overweight, but they're carrying this visceral fat around their organs, exactly. which is actually incredibly unhealthy. Um, oh, it's very dangerous. And a, a, yeah. a massive driver of poor health outcomes and, and morbidities. And so that stuff all shows up on the DEXA scan and you know exactly, and you can also see imbalances. It'll tell you exactly how mm-hmm. much muscle is in your left leg versus your right leg, right arm. And so you can, you can train uh, to correct for some of those imbalances in body does that not as accurate. So yes, those, those things are going to give you more valuable and actual information. They're also far less accessible 
And you really get into a point of diminishing returns on some of this stuff in that, um, you know, like a DEXA scan, that's something that if you're really looking to act on that data and know for sure, um, you know, that you're improving health in, in particular ways, yes, is a scale and good nutrition and maybe the occasional like impedance scan or even caliper of body fat going to get you 80% of the way there, maybe 90% of the way there for somebody who's not looking to be a competitive athlete. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It is. yeah. And, and so. you can do that in your bathroom, yeah. <laughs> right? If you, if you learn how to use, you'd have to be trained on how to use skin calipers, but no, you're, you're right. Yeah. You can get, you can, you can get that base level assessment. You know, so, I mean, much more cheaply. In which, you know, you know all that to say the reality is, and, and this brings us back to the wearables, is um, are they neat? Yeah. Um, but they're only useful to the extent that um, you actually watch the data and that you that you act on the data. And so, uh, you know, Mark Sisson, somebody I'm a big fan of, he wrote the Primal Blueprint. Um, he founded Primal Kitchen, which, um, you know, this isn't what they were about when he first founded it, but he got into condiments and now they're mm -hmm. Primal Kitchen makes some of the best, uh, condiments and sauces yeah, on the planet without yeah. garbage in them, uh, these days. So just Mark's he's, he's written, um, his, his blog, Mark's daily Apple for a long time. Now it's a, a, a fully developed, um, you know, website and resource at this point, not, you know, calling it a blog these days does it a, a disservice. Um, he's founded, his organization does recognized um, health, health coach certifications. Uh, so Mark's a, a wealth of, of information himself. And I've, I've just kind of heard him talk about like why he doesn't do any of the wearables. And he's like, okay, you track your sleep. What are you doing with that? Are you doing anything with that information? He's like, yeah, the reality is most people aren't. Oh, you're tracking your your steps. Are you doing anything with that? Or you're looking at this, you're looking at that. So it's only useful. The, the only value is if it's actionable. Um, and if you're- Yeah, if it triggers if, behavior modification. Yeah, and if you're going to take yeah. the time to do that. And so the sleep tracking in particular, I don't find to be um, you know, necessarily directly beneficial on an ongoing basis where I have found benefit from that is when I've made changes of, um, Hey, if I stop eating earlier, because the, you know, the, the old adages of like, Oh, don't eat after eight, you know, that's kind of like, Oh, you've got to drink eight glasses a day. So a lot of that, anything you hear yeah. in a general, oh, lots of things that you hear in a general generality like that are probably garbage. There's probably not a lot of data backing them up, but what there is more data behind is that it's better to not eat for say like the last two hours before you know you're going to go to bed. And so mm -hmm. you can kind of zero in on what that effective period of time is for you, at least to the extent that it affects sleep with a quality sleep tracker. Or um, if you, I don't know if you've caught last week's uh, episode yet, I, I ripped my my Uller and <laughs> their, uh, their founding their company pretty good. And I'd say deservedly so. Again, your mileage may vary. I'm not trying to get sued. My experience hasn't been great. Um, but I could see definitively with the all the various forms of sleep tracking that I have available to me that cooling the bed and doing that in stages where it's it's cold when I'm going to bed and then 
warms through the night at the point where I would naturally be changing sleep stages anyways, that it improved mm-hmm. the quality of my sleep, that I did in fact get more deep sleep than I did in fact get more yep. REM sleep. And so seeing it as verification for some of those other changes. Um, you know, you can see things and verify. People think that um, a, a nightcap, uh, an alcoholic beverage in the evening to wind down or after dinner uh, relaxes them and that that's a good thing. Evening consumption of alcohol actually negatively impacts sleep. And if you don't believe me, then go ahead and leave your Apple Watch on. There's plenty of data yep. to back this up. But if you're the kind of person that you've got to touch the stove yourself to know that it's hot, um, <laughs> then yeah. then your, your tracker. So I find the sleep tracking very useful in that. Where I find um, much more useful data is more on the the fitness and physiological side of I can see um, that the the work I'm doing is lowering my walking heart rate over time because I can easily see and graph that data over large swaths of time. Um, yeah. That yeah. it's lowering my resting heart rate. That um, you know, so all these different things you can see. Um, which again, you could just trust that okay, I'm working out more than I was, and I'm eating healthy. I, I'm feeling better, so improvements are being made. That's fine. Trust that. If you feel better, you you are better. I mean, that's, that's, there's fairness, there's honesty in that metric, but, um, you know, for a lot of people seeing that hard data to back that up, um, to where even, you know, if you're depending on the, what version of Apple watch you have, and I'm sure some of the, the Samsung wearables and some of the others do similar things. I'll, I'll literally get a notice like, Hey, your walking heart rate has been lower the past X number of weeks. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Apple watch. Yeah. Good to know your resting heart yeah. rate has, you know, so whatever these metrics are, uh, that you've set up. So that's, you know, that's kind of where I find the value in the wearables. I don't know that any of it's super life changing. I'm not somebody that's like crazy motivated to close my Apple watch rings every day. That one doesn't really work, uh, yeah, on me, but, uh, and they're also they're just, they're just cool gadgets. Like the amount of tech, I think, it's just no, cool. they, I, I'm, I, I agree with you. They're, they are, they are. It, it, it's cool technology. Um, it's uh, it's cooler if you use it. I I've found that to the degree that um, I've got an iPhone 14 Pro Max and uh, upgraded from a 10R, so it was a big leap. Um, <clears throat> but just the little bit of data collection I get from that on you know what I'm doing during the day and all this stuff and and uh, you know I, I can see. For example, like if I had an aura ring, I would use sleep tracking to verify what I've been doing with uh, Andrew Huberman was talking about. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman was talking about uh, uh, magnesium supplementation. So I've been taking just a basic uh, like, you know, on Amazon, uh, it's a magnesium malate, taurate and glycinate. Uh, all chelated uh, supplement. It's not some huge mega dose. It's just a very moderate uh, uh, amount of it. And uh, each of those three does different things for your body. And I just find that it's, you know, uh, it helps me fall asleep faster. I, I, I don't get up for my midnight snackies uh, as often. And sometimes I don't get up at all. And uh, I just find that I wake up feeling more refreshed yeah. when I take it. Uh, and especially if I go to sleep after doing a bunch of strenuous stuff, 
one thing I'm not having happen anymore is uh, midnight cramps. Yeah. <laughs> so no muscle cramps waking you up in the middle of the night. Uh, and I've, I've always been prone to muscle cramps. So I have a, a good um, electrolyte that I supplement with. Um, but it's just eradicated any of that stuff. Uh, so same water intake and all this other stuff. So if I were going to use a, a wearable, I would use it to track probably in that, in yeah. that way. But, said, but I don't need, like you said, like, I don't need that though, because I see the results, the results are coarse enough and, and graduated enough that I can see it. And I don't need a data, uh, a historical data to say like, I'm literally sleeping better because yeah. I'm waking up with more energy. But you, you so. said melatonin. Yeah. No, 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 not melatonin, magnesium. Magnesium. So okay. magnesium yeah, I was gonna say, melatonin is one of those you gotta, you gotta, you gotta oh, watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, melatonin is, it, there are certain, you know, things that you could give to your body and your body will just say, okay, cool. I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. Like testosterone, you start supplementing, you know, the people who go on TRT, people, guys who go on TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, their bodies, if you're on that on a big enough dose for long enough, your body will permanently cease making testosterone yeah, like and that's, forever melatonin <laughs> melatonin is one that that really scares me in the sense i'm not afraid of the 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 use of melatonin um like personally um mm. but the the problem is that melatonin's become so ubiquitous now and so easily and readily available um and w but without a lot of knowledge and data uh, bagging it up and driving it and yeah it's one of those where regular usage will absolutely downregulate endogenous creation. So your body will make less. Will. Uh, and there's yep. just so many people that just treat it as like bedtime regimen. Um, and uh, there's, there's, there's better options. There's better alternatives out there. You can check out Kirk Parsley's stuff. Um, yep. I think yeah. Tim Ferris, uh, uh, which he, he, uh, Tim's on my mind. Well, I'm just a fan always, but Huberman was just yeah. on recently. And what, I mean, yep. just in one episode, the wealth of knowledge I've listened through twice and I still don't, there's so much, and this is what Huberman's phenomenal with, but there's so much actionable information there. Yeah. Like, like stuff you can use, you know, he yeah. says, D -d don't take this, take this, don't do this, do this. Right. I, I, like it's, it's yeah. Okay. Oh, I've just, I've, I've got to sit down. Like I haven't had time to sit. Like normally, regular listeners or no, that's part of why I have a podcast. I'm a podcast lover. I mean, I follow mm -hmm. more than I can possibly listen to. I, I listen to most things at like 1.75 or 1.8 speed um, just to get through some modicum of the stuff I want to hear. Um, there, Sean Ryan is I, has been added into the mix lately, oh, and he's been killing elite, it. Come on, and holy, but a dude's you want to talk about not afraid of a long form podcast? Holy freaking crap! So I'm like, thanks, Sean Ryan. I needed this in my life. Like I already <laughs> had just in it, though. Like Rogan he, and he Jocko, and uh, you know, and then the ones that I listen to just to get a laugh, and you know, Office Ladies yeah. and Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Thank you, Sean Ryan. I mean, just been. The Killing one with it. Kristen recently. Not Kristen uh, anymore. Yeah, well, correct. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but uh, but that uh, that entire episode was mind blowing. Dude, it was insightful. It's and been so good. The episode that he did with the Canadian sniper, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and and pushing back against the Canadian government to to air mm -hmm. everything that he recorded. Um, his, his latest one out now, um, is with, a you know, a Delta operator. I mean, I mean, just yep. killing it. Just fantastic. Um, so, uh, you know, and all that to say, um, Huberman's one of those where, so I, 
a lot of my podcast listening is background. It's not the only thing going on. It's probably one of three or four things going on. Uh, But sometimes uh, it just to actually absorb it. uh, Huberman's one of those that's like that, where I've got to be listening to it at one X. I've got to have a notepad or my iPad or, uh, you know, just whatever. Jordan Peterson's like that a lot of times yep. where I'm like, I, I'm not going to get all this. I'm not going to absorb all this at 1.8 speed. That's not happening. Um, yeah, Huberman, he was the one that got me on the magnesium train um, and the specific types because if you just have magnesium citrate. It is difficult for that to pass through your intestinal lining. It's easy. It's it. That's what they use to loosen your stool when you're old. It's like that and prune juice. Uh, not great. Um, but these other types of magnesium, magnesium L3 and 8, which uh, MIT uh, developed, and it is just a specific molecule that easily passes the blood-brain barrier. And as your body is just deeply, your your gut in terms of how bad you got to go is deeply insensitive to it. So it's well absorbed into your tissues, but you can consume a lot of it and not, uh, and, and not have any discomfort at all, which is also awesome. And like 70%, it's either 60 or 70%, according to Huberman of the planet are magnesium deficient in a clinical sense. Yeah. Uh, which is when you look at all the things, the thousands of functions and, and mechanisms that magnesium supports in your body, that's a little scary. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I didn't get any type of blood battery testing. I wouldn't say whether I was deficient or not. I'm benefiting from a moderate uptake increase, uh, you know, in, in, in quality magnesium. And so, but Huberman was talking about that L3 innate, malate, taurate, glycinate, and, and these types of magnesium are, they're easier on your gut. They're really good for your intestinal lining. They're good for all kinds of other stuff. They're good for muscle. They're good for blood glucose. They're good for uh, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And most people don't get enough of it. Um, so uh, he, he's so anyway, so I just started, I took very moderate dose. There's no way, uh, even if I am uh, uh, totally upped on it, which obviously I'm not because I'm, he, that's, that's his other tell. If you're getting plenty of it, then your body won't really react to it because it you'll just you'll just excrete the rest of it that you don't need. Yeah. So because I've had such a positive reaction to it, I'm like, oh, well, I now concretely know that I wasn't getting enough of those, and I don't feel the need to take any more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just and it doesn't cost a ton of money. Uh, there's no downside. I mean, like you have to take some insane mega dose, and your gut will kind of tell you like if you're if you're taking too much. Like it's like if you have too much vitamin C, like you're gonna figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, you know, 24 hours or less, right? <laughs> well, so, vitamin yeah. C is one of those. The I mean, a, a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, uh, the the lethal dose is such that you really don't have to worry. Like well, I've you know, I, I picked yeah. up from so. like uh, Rhonda Patrick, even, you know, like the mm-hmm. old, like I'm going to like orange juice my way out of a cold isn't really going to work, but like sure. a bolus dose of C will shorten the length of a cold. But we're talking like, um, uh, not a doctor go see what Rhonda Patrick says about this. Maybe I got that from Chris master, John, I can't remember, but like a, a big dose of I C it was like 2000 milligrams, like at the onset yeah. of symptoms. Uh, you can yeah, actually that plus see like zinc, gl- zinc gluconate, I think, because I'm pretty sure it was Rhonda was talking about it. Big dose of C uh, and zinc gluconate can can actually affect 
positively the duration and strength of a cold. There's some research that that supports that. Um, it doesn't make it any worse. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, so zinc leucanate would be like cold ease or Zycam. Uh, that, that's, that, that, you know, over the counter, uh, naturally present. You're, you have some of it in your body anyway. But, you know, same with vitamin C. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, take a big dose. Yeah, so, some things you, you can't like. Some things it's really easy to overdo, and don't do that. And and do like it's so easy to to research and find good sources oh, um, yeah. these days. You know, stay away from that. Like, uh, what's his name? Avocado dude on the socials. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, don't don't go eating cow testicles with the liver king. But yeah. uh... <laughs> oh man, oh yeah. But no, you're right. I mean, the the, the prevalence of if you just like. Rhonda, Peter Atia, and a, a Huberman, and a couple others, and you just listen to them and the people, the circles in which they run. They all show their work. They show their data, so you can, if you're if you're curious, you can make your own mind up about yeah. it. You can truly become um, informed in a clinical sense. You can become informed about these topics and and have uh, uh, relatively uncomfortable discussions with your doctor where your doctor thinks you're ambushing them or something and you're not. I just, you know, you just, you re read a few papers, you understand what you need to understand out of those. And, and uh, you know, and, and then, you, you know, obviously Rhonda and the rest will do a great job explaining them to, to you as they discuss them. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, th I think it's great. So, yeah. you know, but the, yeah. But so, so to tie that back around though, like, you know, your point, you know, like with uh, taking the magnesium mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, that's, that's where the wearables are really come in handy. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm doing this thing because it's supposed to impact this. Can I substantiate, can I quantify that it, that it is impacting that? Because if not, you, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to bother with it. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of like a workout supplement in that way. Right. You know, so if you're a college athlete and you want to take an NCAA approved, uh, say pre-workout and you want to see, can you lift heavier? Can you run harder? Can you run harder and longer? Uh, you know what I mean? Can you swim further? Can you hold your breath longer? You know what I mean? Can you recover faster? So it's, it's, a it, it's, um, it's testable. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you know, these hypotheses are testable and you can test them, uh, with basically no risk, day-to-day -day risk, yeah. you know, no, no elevated risk in your life, you know, no more risk than you have getting hit by a dump truck when you go take trash out. I mean, it's just, you know, you're in the, you're in the very low yeah. risk stuff can happen category. I mean, I guess I could get hit by lightning, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I it's, um, but you can evaluate those things on your own. Um, now one of the, yeah. the, the limiting factors at this point still with these things, and this is, this is true across all of tech. And I, and I feel like, this is really where we need our next big breakthrough is what I'm up against with my aura ring right now is it's just, we, we really need some significant gains and breakthroughs in battery technology um, yeah. at this point. And actually uh, was, was looking today just, um, you know, not even for, for show prep and came across, uh, you know, and, and you and I will talk, I, I don't nerd out on cars as much as you do. There's a soft spot for, classic carbureted naturally aspirated uh you know no catalytic converter gas guzzlers deep in my american heart and soul uh, you know something that rolls by and rumbles you inside and you get that whiff of that naturally aspirated uh exhaust and uh you know and so that's just that's just in my blood but i'm not the like 
uh, you know, I see that car and I'm like, oh, that's that year. And I mean, other than the 50s, if you can't ID a 57 Chevy, we probably can't be friends. Yeah, uh, you're not but, really going to make it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not so, going to make the cut. <laughs> so I'm not a huge car nerd. I don't get into this engine versus that engine and the displacement and the torque that? and the horsepower. You get into, I mean, you nerd on all that stuff. Before Colin abandoned me for the Pack Northwest, and at least now he's in, uh, you know. Um, the great state of Texas. Great yes. state uh, of Texas. Um you know, had, had managed to snag himself a Porsche, but the Porsche wasn't good enough for him. I mean, there was never a point. There was never a point. And you're the same way with your firearms. And it's so funny. Like there was never just a state of equilibrium. Like there was never a good enough. And so now he's adding like spacers to the rear wheels and he's wrapping like, you know, thermo crap around this one thing in the engine to get, it's going to get me this percentage of gain on this thing. I'm like, no, it's not. No, no, it's no, it's, it's no, I can show you, I can show you right here where it, well, I'm like, yeah, but like get in and press the gas, but no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, so and these are the types of things where, uh, you know, Colin's one of my all time favorite people to troll. So all that to say, you know, but we both, um, you know, I was that kid, you know, everybody says when you get your license, like they're all trying to take the excitement out of it. And this new generation, like they're not even fired up about getting their license. I don't get it. Um, not either. But everybody's like, I was so psyched. Everybody's like, oh, oh you're going to hate driving. I still love to drive. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I am the epitome of George Carlin's joke. Um, everyone driving slower than me is an idiot, and everyone driving faster than me is a psycho. Um, so it's not that I enjoy the other people on the road, but I still enjoy driving. I still enjoy a manual transmission when I can get my hands on one. Um, Absolutely. And so, uh, we like motorized vehicles. And so yeah. these days that conversation has to include uh, electric cars, pros and cons, um, you know, and I think you and I both approached them more for the machines that they are than the, uh, you know, boon to the environment. There's a whole uh, conversation to be had about how beneficial they are or aren't to the environment. I don't think that's really how you or I either one approach our interest in them. All that to say, uh, came across an article just today um, about new battery tech with lithium in particular um, that's showing a 4x increase in storage. Yeah, that's, that's a, that was massive. actually the solid state. Those are solid state batteries. So they use every battery known to man right now, nickel metal hydride, nickel cadmium, lithium, uh, lead acid. They all use either a uh, a fluid, so an actual liquid uh, electrolyte or a gel. So like the, uh, uh, you know, so Odyssey batteries or uh, Optima batteries that you see for cars, those are AGM or absorbent glass mat, and they use a gel form. So a gelatinous form of this electrolyte, and which is a better, it's a better way of doing things. They also, instead of plates, Optima has these spirally wound things, but but the solid state batteries do away with that. And, and, and because of doing away with that, um, they now they're just in design prototype phase, but they, you get massively increased energy density. Because right now, the energy density is the, is the key limiting factor for electric vehicles. Right now, a thousand pound battery pack is so, so 100 kilowatt hour, roughly thousand pound battery pack in a Tesla has the same energy in it, total energy, as about a gallon of gas that weighs 
nine pounds. Huge difference, <laughs> huge difference. Uh, and it's a, you know, and, and if you get into these smaller electric vehicles, whatever, you can measure it out in like Coke cans. You could have like a 12 pack of Diet Coke, uh, and, and, you know, and gasoline and have more energy in that. So like less than a gallon, you know, an average gas tank for a car now is 16 gallons or something. Trucks are bigger. Um, so the, the, the problem with electric vehicles is they have to have this very heavy gas, you know, battery pack. They have to carry that weight with them all the time. You know, as you burn fuel, um, you're actually burning, you're consuming it. So your, your car becomes lighter as you drive it, as you process through that fuel, obviously you're using it up. So, and fuel, you know, it's not trivial weight. Every gallon weighs about, you know, what, eight and a half or nine pounds. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, you go through, you have a 30 gallon tank and you go through 15, um, you know, a 15 gallons, well, 15 times nine, that's non-trivial, right? You know, it's a, it's a non-trivial weight reduction. That's going to be easily equal to a spare tire and then some luggage. So, uh, so, you know, you know, but, but this energy density and this solid state battery, it's also more vibration resistant. It's also more, uh, a t- it can accept a charge faster because the the other thing and this is part of the reason that tesla is still in the lead and i would put porsche and audi up there too with their 800 volt battery architecture is that you have to actually cool your electric car down your battery has to be in a temperature window it can't be too cold to accept the charge and it can't be too hot and of course when you're charging it gets hotter um so you know these solid state batteries don't generate as much self-heat and they can accept a charge much faster. So you can essentially, in phone terms, fast charge them without them overheating. And if you go by, so for example, you go by a Tesla supercharger on a hot day, you will hear the cooling fans for those Teslas running. Now they're not super loud, but they actually have to, they have to pull air through the radiator to cool the battery pack. And that's because they're keeping it within that temperature window. And it's inversely correlative, right? So the hotter that battery pack gets, the slower it's going to charge. It has to, or else you damage it. And these solid state batteries are lighter, smaller, three to four X more energy dense. Um, and, uh, and they also last a long time. So the, the last part about batteries that is, and this goes back to your aura ring is they have a number of discharges over their lifetime. So you have like, you know, a metric that's called depth of discharge. So your ring, if you ran it from hundred percent battery down to 5%, that's a 95% discharge, right? And and even if it's, even if you run it down to 50 and you charge it back up 50, that's a half discharge. And that all that is cumulative over the life of the battery. iPhone batteries, I don't know if you if you've checked Apple lately, eight, 500 to 800 discharge cycles. So if you use your battery up completely in a day, 500 to 800 days roughly. Now most people don't go through their whole iPhone in a day. Some people go through more than that. So they'll use it all up, charge it up on a train ride home or something. Um but but the solid state batteries have a much longer, uh, uh, a, a much higher number of overall discharge cycles. And here's the other thing, depth of discharge. So this is what makes special car batteries. So these Optimas, these AGM batteries, this is why they call them deep cycle. Because your normal lead acid battery, your, the, the battery that most likely came in your car, uh, your gasoline car, your diesel car is not a deep cycle battery. So it only likes to get discharged maybe 20, 30, 40%. And then it wants to get charged back up and that's what keeps it happy. And if you leave it discharged like that, it will actually begin to self-discharge and it could permanently damage it. So if you run a battery, a brand new battery off the lot, perfect condition, and you run that lead acid battery dead, 
you could break it in that one time. Lithium ion batteries and lithium polymer batteries are more tolerant of that. The Tesla battery, Tesla manages that very, very tightly. Again, they're doing a very good job of this where they manage that, you know, they, they don't let, there's always a reserve above and below. So that you never actually, even in your cars at a hundred, it's probably at like 97, right? At least when new and you never get down to zero, you only get down to like one and a half, two percent. So they don't actually let it go dead, dead. But they had this much bigger window, and solid state batteries have a correspondingly even larger window. So yeah. you have these much bigger. So you can well, you can run a solid state battery like that. You could charge it all the way up at max speed, yeah. and you can run it really, really low, and it won't hurt it hardly at all. Well, and and evidently that's that's one of the big deals that I'm seeing in the article here is what they've yep. actually physically demonstrated is what 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 they've had a challenge with referring to these as lithium air these solid state batteries. Uh, yep. is that life cycle. Whereas um, prior to what they've achieved here, um, their test cells only had um, about 300 life cycles, um, which would be on, on par with some things now, uh, but certainly mm -hmm. not an advancement. So there's gains in other places. Uh, but what they've demonstrated with their new design uh, is a test cell that operates for a thousand cycles, which is, uh, you know, a couple of orders of magnitude uh, larger. Um, in that. So yeah. for greater energy distance, uh, density for a longer period of time, I, I heard somebody on a podcast just the other day talking about their friend who had a model S had 120, 140,000 miles on it. Um, needed a new battery battery was battery was done. Uh, and yeah. it was going to be now again, I haven't verified this. I haven't priced this. <clears throat> I don't own a model S. I, this isn't coming off a Tesla website. This was quoted from, let's be honest, probably a comedian on a podcast, but wasn't saying this jokingly, uh, that it was going to be $70,000 to replace that battery. Um, regardless I've heard, I've heard 17 to 30. Uh, I don't know about 70, but yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Especially reg for, regardless uh, of the accuracy. Of the yeah. They're, they're not giving them away. And so yeah. to not only, um, you know, three or four X, the energy density, which in this application, this would, I mean, Massive applications here in portable electronics and everything. This isn't limited to EVs, uh, but yeah. where one of the large limiting factors for transition to EVs has been range, um, yeah. yep. uh, you know, this would be a game changer, assuming it can all be achieved with similar economics. And of course, really, ideally, what we need to see is advancement away from that does not require lithium, that does not require rare earth minerals. Uh, which they're they're problematic for all kinds of reasons for the rare actual legitimate environmental and uh, humanitarian concerns, um, the geopolitical concerns. Um, yeah, screw those kids. I want my lithium. I want my cobalt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's children in strip mines. I mean, it's like the mo the worst type of mining. It, honestly, when you look at pictures of it, it looks like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Like it really, it does not look very different from that. And I'm like, dude, this is Spielbergian. It's so bad. Yeah, uh, it's bad for the planet. It's obviously bad for these wonderful people who have to go through these horrible conditions in Africa and in China to 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 mine it, and they literally have kids doing it. I mean, it's it's really rough. So, yeah, no, but it's well, and think about it. If you let's just so if you pet if pessimistically gauge this, let's just say it's just it's quote only a 3x increase, right? So that thousand pound battery pack probably turns into an 850 pound battery pack. 
instead of 100 kilowatt hours, now you got 300 kilowatt hours. Let's just say to, to maintain extra charging cycles, you only use 200 out of it. So you double your kilowatt hours in your battery pack. It charges faster. It lasts longer. It's more temperature tolerant. It's more vibration resistant, which also means if you get a fender bender, your battery pack is much less likely. So if somebody backs into your car when you're in the mall, you're not even in the car. And then and then leaves. You're much less likely to get your vehicle totaled over that with a solid state battery. Yeah. And then you know, it, it, and they don't pose the same the same fire risk. Which the I oh mean, no, the lithium Ooh. ion fires are crazy. Our first responders are not properly equipped to deal with them. I mean, they are like I I got to be honest. I don't park. I don't, I sold the Porsche on eleven. It was a it was a ninety nine Carrera two S six speed. Uh, convertible cabriolet uh and it was beautiful um you wrote in it yeah but i i don't park uh we have a lexus now i don't park the lexus or even my old subaru next to any electric vehicle for that reason like in case not, not, it, it's 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 a very low probability whatever but uh you see the fires and they'll engulf like I see them a lot in California because there's a higher usage rate of electric vehicles there. But you'll have a brand new vehicle because someone didn't take a very good care of it or they hit a piece of road debris or something. Like go up in flames in a shopping parking lot or something and take out like eight adjacent vehicles from this inferno. And the, the, the problem is first responders just let it burn because if you put water on it, it gets real bad real fast. Yeah. So, do you, I mean, yeah. it's so uh... – <clears throat> It's so exceedingly rare to see a fire occur outside of a devastatingly horrible accident, uh, high velocity, um, immovable barriers. I mean, it's, it's (laughs) got, it's typically got to be bad, uh, with, with rare exception, which I mean, for that matter, there's been lawsuits and recalls over, you know, a Ford F-150 traditional internal combustion sitting in a garage. Something short catches fire. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, large, large checks have been cut. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we're all driving around with controlled explosions under the hood. Uh, you know, unless you're, <laughs> uh, uh, you're driving a, a Tesla or something similar anyways. So it's true. But yeah, the last thing I want to say is the range anxiety is it's just like the EPA ratings for your car you're probably not going to get that gas mileage. You know what I mean? It says in your window sticker, you get 17 in the city and 24 on the highway. And no, you don't. Not if you, it's a Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Or anything. Um, uh, you know, it's just, you, you're probably not going to meet that number. And very similarly, and because that, 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 that mileage test is run on a dynamometer. So a stationary dyno, like you would use to measure horsepower, and it's actually based on like a 67 or 66 degree day in LA, like back in the fifties or sixties. There's like literally like they, they, they control for temperature, temperature and humidity. So it's like the easiest thing ever. It's not like a 98 degree in summer day in, in Florida or 111 degree summer day in Texas or Arizona. It's not like that. Um, and, uh, and EVs correspondingly, it's the same. So it is, the problem is there are a lot of people there. They, they get, eat, it's not a problem people get an electric vehicle with the express intent and they're excited about it to replace their gas vehicle. And, and in large part, they, they not large part, but in, in, in many cases they can, they can do that. Depends on your use case. But for people who need a lot of range out of their vehicle, especially people who don't have like a supercharger, they invest in a, like a $10,000 charging setup at home. It would be called a level one or a level two 
sorry, a level two or a level three charger, the level ones are the slowest. Um, if they don't do that, you know, I mean, it's a, it could be a problem. So you could have a vehicle that's air quotes rated for 220 miles. And in the summer, you might only get 180 out of it, 160, a brand new vehicle. Well, the, there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's not malfunctioning. The, the greater limitation though. And I mean, this is a, a real problem right now. And it's why, um, you know, you see adoption of these vehicles very geographically is mm -hmm. you lose significant capacity and range in cold temperatures, significant. And uh, it doesn't have to be like, it, we're not talking minus 20. Like is if it gets to like 25 Fahrenheit or 30 Fahrenheit, it, it hurts the battery because your battery has to heat itself. Like we're talking about that yeah. temperature window. So your battery has to use its own electricity to run a resistive heating element and you know but which is by the way the most the least efficient way to 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 heat things um and literally they have a resistive heating element in there or some of them have a heat pump but you have to heat it literally has to heat itself before it even moves a car which you'll find in cold weather and you go on youtube cold weather if you leave these cars outside their self-discharge rate is very high rivian's currently having a huge issue with this uh and that you know your rivians are losing 1.8% a day to to keep that battery conditioned and ready to use, whether cooling it or heating it uh, and, and making sure that it's the same temperature across the vehicle. Cause you got these, you know, look at a battery pack, just go to Google images. They're huge. Dude, They're did big. you see? And I mean, so, you know, especially from traditional uh, car guys, you know, the electric vehicles take all kind of knocks, some of them warranted, some of them not, but man, they're not without their fun. Um, the the torque, the acceleration, it's real. And dude, did you see that video making the rounds last week of that Rivian tugging that full 18 wheeler and trailer off the side of the road? Like, dude, <laughs> I like yeah. I don't care what you're into. That's freaking legit. That oh yeah. Is I love awesome. the way the Rivians look. I think they look great inside and out. I think their feature set is fantastic. Uh, I, I'm, I, I just got so much stuff they need to work out, but no, that was a super impressive video, wow. a fully loaded 18 wheeler. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like the trailer was empty. And, uh, I mean, you, a PR department could not have staged a better ad than that. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. I mean, look, if you haven't felt a P 100 D launch, like full scale launch in ludicrous mode, then, then you're underappreciating electrics. Uh, now, now temper that with feeling a P 100 D go around a corner and you get walked by a Miata cause they're, they're just heavy. So it's this blinding speed and you're, you're all four tires are just clawing for grip, like a nine eleven turbo S. Uh, and then you get to the corner and there's a lot of understeer, <laughs> there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of, there's, take time in your braking zone, a lot of understeer and that understeer continues from corner entry through the apex. And, and and basically all the way through the corner. So you have uh, that's part of the reason that the Model S uh, Plaid edition has quite a bit wider tires. Um, and they they actually brought a, a version of that. There's a company I can't remember the name of it. Randy Popes, the race car driver, brought it to Pikes Peak, uh, and it was very very fast, very very fast up there. But they're heavy. They're heavy vehicles. Yeah. Like a model, the Model S Plaid is not a lot lighter than uh, my GX460, my Lexus, which is a large truck. Uh, it, it, it's so my Porsche 911, on the other hand, convertible, so it's already paying a pretty big weight penalty about 150 pound weight penalty. That on the scales, um, 
when I had it weighed, all fluids uh, without anybody in the car was 3,015 pounds. So way done on power, but like half, like literally almost half the weight. Like yeah. it's like very, very light. And that's a heavy Porsche as far as, uh, uh, as that generation of Porsches go. The coupes are like 2760 pounds or something like that. And, uh, and we're talking like a normal car. We're not talking interior ripped out like an IMSA racing special. I mean, you yeah. can get them down to like 2400, like almost Lotus weight. Um, and, but anyway, uh, that, that's the, you know, weights, the enemy of performance and efficiency. And that, that's where the solid state batteries are hopefully going to kick that in the bud. I did see, and this goes back to our, you know, uh, Klaus Schwab and the EMF and our wearables and the, uh, you'll own nothing and be happy subscription economy. Um, he's like a star Wars villain. I Jeez. saw that he, I mean, he really is just, you couldn't ride him. Um, you see the clothes he wears. I mean, you oh make this stuff. but, um, so the uh um I, mercedes i want to say i saw um mm-hmm. this week is um i don't know if it's i don't know how many electrics they have i don't know if this is one electric all of their electrics but there's like a monthly subscription you can pay for for increased performance in at least one of their electric models so it's capable of yeah. it uh it, it so it's literally governed unless you want to pay them an extra hundred dollars a month to pull that governor yeah. off as a subscription to your electric vehicle. I'm like, good for you, Mercedes. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, The conservative libertarian in me wants to bury a baseball bat in the windshield of that car and return it to the dealership. Dude, take your, hey, take this back. Anybody <laughs> who's willing to pay that to them deserves to pay that to them. They do deserve that. No, it's that, that software is a service model. Toyota's doing it. And the new Tundra and the Sequoia, believe it or not, uh, you're going to have to pay a, a subscription for heated seats. I cannot tell you how much screw that is just hardwired into me. And I know you too. I, we've become very ingenious. Uh, I own that vehicle. So I own all the hardware I paid for. You don't get to lock me out of hardware because I'm not giving you an extortion. Okay, I'm done. But GM's doing it and a lot of new vehicles. Toyota's doing it. Um, and literally turning features off that are that exist in hardware in your car yeah. until you pay them subscription, aka extortion money, uh, for them to allow you to use it. Um, yeah, the, oh man, the, I would just the more park they that do the this, the more it, front yard. Yeah, the more they do this, the the more it makes me want you know like a 70s truck or a vintage land cruiser or an old bronco even my lexus doesn't have that i don't i don't have any of that stuff i'm I'm, yeah i'm not buying a vehicle that does that period no i'm getting to where i would gladly hand crank the window down like right now (laughs) like you just go buy a manual transmission vehicle uh with manual windows right now and Mm -hmm. you you can leave that vehicle unlocked with the windows down and the keys in the ignition anywhere you go one most car thieves now wouldn't know to turn the key in the ignition. They'd be looking for the mm-hmm. start button and they pu- couldn't put it in gear and drive it away. You're fine. You're fine. I literally would leave. I would go places in the central Florida area with my beautiful nine 11 and my lovely bride. And we would just go just do Saturday things, you know, so go to a different small town or whatever. I would just leave the top down and knowing it was a stick like people, no one messed with it. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was probably a little too uh, laissez faire, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a, the, the millennial, uh, Gen Z, uh, theft, you know, anti-theft device. As soon as they see that stick shift in there and no paddles behind the steering wheel, they're like, uh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a, 
Yeah, I would like, you know, if they did, the beautiful thing about a Porsche is that um, they're easy to stall. They don't make a ton of power down low. Uh, sort of like the opposite of a diesel. So there's a lot of clutch slipping and whatever. And if you're starting on a hill, so if you see somebody driving a manual Porsche well, they're a really good manual driver uh, because it's just really easy to look like total doofus. Like the car will make you look dumb. Yeah. Uh, and I got, you know, I, I had a couple times where I'm like, I'm not panicking and I am stalling. And the problem, the other problem is they're pretty resiliently built. And uh, I, I, I was in um, a, a small town northwest of, uh, of the Orlando area and uh, it was on a hill. And I was like, this just a stupid stop sign. It was just parked like on a hill trying to get going at a, uh, <clears throat> I think it might've been a rail crossing. And, um, and, and for whatever reason, there was, it might've been 4th of July, there were people around and uh, which I don't care about at all. But I stalled it once, and then I turned it on again, installed it twice, and I turned it on a third time. I stalled it a third time, and I was like, this isn't very fun anymore. And some dude was like, you can't drive that. You know, you, you don't deserve that car. And I immediately birded him. I was just like, yeah, no, that's what I think of you and your whole family. And then I did like a 4,500 RPM clutch drop, and <laughs> I like spun up both rear tires and laid down like, 20 foot streaks uh you know and then like just banged off a red line upshift into second and i was just like man screw this i'm out of here but and the car is fine like didn't hurt the car at all um i'm not saying to do that to your car but uh you know that it was totally fine but still it'll make you look dumb like it you know if i were a better driver at that point in time it wouldn't happen um you know electric vehicles on the total flip side of that they make all the torque down low. So they're really good. I mean, in terms of how they make their power, that's exactly what you need in traffic. You know, you don't need to spin up to 5 million miles an hour. You need a lot of uh, tractive force, that torque uh, available immediately. And you don't need a ton of it, but what you what you do need, you need it when you need it. So they're really, really great for buzzing around town. And, and, and you know, and towing things, um, it's part of the reason diesels are so effective. Uh, so they make a ton of torque. And so do electric vehicles. So... I'm kind of excited. I don't want to see what Tesla does with the semi. I don't know what they're going to do um, in terms of like an actual, actual getting it out there, actual launch. But I'm, I'm excited to see that. Not because I think it'll necessarily replace these big tractor trailers, these Kenworths and Mack trucks. Uh, but I kinda, I'm just hoping they're able to do it. I don't know. I think it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but it should be able to put, I mean, it's quick. It's actually like, as fast as like a Mustang Cobra from 1999. Like if it doesn't have a trailer attached, yeah. it's like five seconds to 60. I mean, that's that a Corvette in 1999 with a Z51 pack did like 4.8 seconds. Yeah. Okay. With a manual transmission. So we're talking about a literal tractor, a literal tractor with no trailer. The whole thing that will go zero to 60 as fast as a Corvette when I was in high school. Yeah, And I think it's cool, right? I don't know. That's... <laughs> Now, you know, with, with all this talk of, of batteries and, you know, range and fuel mileage, and then, you know, of course, the the fuel prices that we're all familiar with these days, you would think yeah, everyone, you know, anyone anywhere, you would think would be loath to, to waste any kind of, of fuel, of electric charge. And yet, yet we have Russian pilots in SU-27 fighters just wantonly dumping jet fuel on top of poor predator drones. And it just seems like bad economics to me. It seems like a waste of good gas. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Russian gas isn't good gas. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it, it just, 
it seems like that type of Top Gun type of stunt that you would expect in a movie plot. And then you see the actual video from the drone and, you, and it just immediately forces a what the hell? Yeah. Uh, so the plane collided with the drone in that video. Obviously, they didn't release all of it, but it, it meaningfully compl- collided with the drone. So the plane apparently was heavily damaged, but was able to land, supposedly. Like Russia would tell the truth if it, if it didn't. But yeah, it was it was dumping fuel, hoping it would disable the drone, which heh, it didn't. Because uh, <laughs> it was just like a gasoline rainstorm, but it didn't phase it at all. Uh, Might have made a little more power. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, and it was not in Russian airspace either. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was also awesome. Yeah. I saw that. It's pretty, uh, crazy video. Um, well, response to Russia's, great, uh, but yeah. you know, Russia's claim was that it was in, um, uh, an area they've designated a, a no fly zone doing due to their ongoing, uh, what are they referring to this illegal invasion as a uh, special military <sighs> action? Yeah. And uh, I'm no, no. Is that Russia. what they're telling their conscripts? <laughs> Dude. Get your boots on, old man. You're going to war. You're going to your special military engagement. Tell you <laughs> what, I mean, this uh I've had this discussion on here with uh Lieutenant Colonel Staley. Um mm-hmm. when when he comes on, just um, you know, Russia fights war different than us, and that's you know, fair enough where you know we own the airspace, like air dominance is uh, you know, top of the list and, and immediate. Uh, yeah. and and uh, absolute with us where that's really not Russia's model. Russia's model is more just throwing bodies at a problem almost quite literally. Um, yeah, they haven't really moved past the Stalingrad strategy. Uh, but, <laughs> Leningrad is um, just waves of people. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this has been um, a costly engagement um, in um, for you know for both sides. Uh, especially and, Russia. I, and, yeah, they've lost so many. What's the body count you've been hearing for them? Uh, well, I, and I was think, looking more at um, just from their their airframes on, on both sides. Uh, what's been lost? Just oh, a, a, yeah. Because uh, both sides are actually fairly well equipped uh, with surface to air defenses and not mm-hmm. flying particularly advanced aircraft. Um, you know, I mean, it's. Don't get me wrong. If Jared Isaacman calls me tomorrow and offers me a flight in his SU twenty seven, you know, I'm gone. Sign me up. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll take oh, yeah. the ride. Uh, but you know, this isn't this isn't cutting edge equipment. Whereas you know, uh, the the ground defense systems have progressed beyond these airframes. Uh, yeah, Russia's got what the S four hundred, and then we've distributed a bunch of really effective man pads. Well, and beyond um, that, even the even the stingers are incredibly capable. I mean, shoulder fired yeah. munitions. Well, those uh, would be a type of man pad. Man, yeah, yeah. it's uh, man portable air defense systems. Uh, uh, but yeah, stinger is a type. But we there we have stuff that's newer than that that yeah. is just wiping them out. And, but so neither neither side has gained air superiority uh, at this yeah. point. Uh, well, it's it's a non permissive environment. Um, it is, yeah, it's been pretty brutal. And, you know, they both use very similar planes, too. So that's been interesting to watch. Um, there's no there's no asymmetry there, right? You know, other than the, uh, what's that called? The Russian, not a stealth, stealth fighter. Uh, the SU-57? Yeah, the felon. That nobody, uh, no, that no one has seen flying anywhere unescorted? There are like seven airframes flying or Dude. something like that. It's like seven or eight 
in existence and they can't afford to build any more than that. I'm not making fun of it. Uh, but you know, it's, it's the typical, like the, you know, we got 400 of them, dude, you barely have four of them. I, I, I sent you now. I think everybody at this point has this person in their life. I think everybody has a friend who just sends them memes and gifts at just an, an almost like an unreasonable volume. Now, a unreasonable <laughs> that you, there's no way you have time to consume all of it, but also yeah. it's unfathomable how they have enough time to find and send all of it. And Colin is that person in my life. <laughs> I, I try to reciprocate to the extent that I can. Colin has me grossly outclassed, but I, I sent you a gift just today. I don't know this account. I, I it. see it on Instagram, <laughs> but it's this guy who he's just like, it's screenshots of maps, like global, global maps. And then it's just, you know, the little overlay where it's the eyes and mouth within the image. And he's just America addressing like specifically Russia and China. And, you know, like, I think he even made a video about this incident and he's just like, I spend all, he's speaking as America. He's like, I spend all day over here just wishing a mother would. <laughs> and they're like, what are you, they're like, you really are just a glorified war tribe, aren't you? And then China's like, oh, don't forget my Navy's bigger than you. He's like, yeah, because I don't count every canoe and fish boat on every waterway in my country. Let's talk total tonnage. Yeah, right. It, it's, no, it's, it's just so good. And, and so it's just like with with stuff like this, I get this was probably I mean, you'd think you'd, you'd like to hope maybe more experienced, more mature officers flying these jets. But the reality is this is, you know, punk kids with fighter jets messing with yeah. this American Joan. But it's like, how do you like what are you thinking? Like, this is not the juice is not worth the squeeze here. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's informative as to their tactics and, um, you know, what they, you know, how they underestimate. I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest. If that drone had a, uh, 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 an, uh, uh, the correct Fox type of air to air missile, like say an aim nine X, which is a high off bore sight, the missile could shoot things behind you. So, uh, you know, so when the F 35 completes its block four upgrade program, it'll be able to carry that. Currently, I believe the F-15, F-15EX, F-16, and F-A-18, uh, the Super Hornet, uh, the Rhino, um, can carry that. And it's literally, if you can get a, if you can see it, and and there might even be a capability now for it to, uh, through a data link, actually shoot it and then acquire, like, feed target data. So, like, I want you to turn into this hemisphere. So, like, you're flying east and there's someone behind you. You literally shoot it, and the missile will do a complete like Looney Tunes complete loop and hit that mother in the face. And, uh, and <laughs> I mean, it's pretty awesome. And and I mean, if that drone had that, that's a dead fighter pilot, right? So it shows what they think, and and there it, it's it's a, a, a tip of the hand of the tactics they're using. Um, you know, it's you know, like you said about American air power. You know, it's been doctrinal for us for a long time, and a, a great channel that talks about this among other things, is a Ward Carroll. He's an F-14 Rio, uh, I believe, radar intercept officer. So the backseater um, yeah. from the F-14 Tomcat. <clears throat> yeah, he's Goose. He's Goose. Uh, and uh, and he's got a superb uh, uh, YouTube channel. And just a, he's, first of all, just a cool guy. He's friends with Rick Beato. Um, so he's a well-rounded guy. And he just gives all kinds of great interviews and, and dissection of these types of incidents. So I haven't watched any video that he's put out 
on this incident, but um, just, you know, he, he's, he's able to talk tactics. He's able to talk practical things and, and other stuff like that. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and he just gets, I mean, he gets you know, like rear admirals and like, actually like real, real people, um, you know, uh, he's in, in, so anyway, he's talked about, uh, about, uh, you know, these types of things where the, the Russians, uh, and, and ostensibly the Chinese in a different way will, will they ideate how they can interact with our equipment and our platforms. And they don't really know what they're, and I, I don't want to sound like a Homer, you know, the R 77 that Russia has and, you know, potentially any hypersonic threats that they've got are, are important. They're not to be taken lightly, but, but you, you see that they don't really respect us. Whereas, you know, and again, you, you know, one of my, one of my friends, um, the, the brother of one of my close friends is a, an F-15C pilot, and uh, their motto is not a pound for air to ground. I mean, they're pure dogfighters. All they do is air superiority, um, uh, you know, so I don't want to put out a ton of information about that airframe. But the F-15C, despite being designed in the 60s and built in the 70s, still a very capable aircraft. And he's transitioning to the F-35, so I don't want to say his name or any of that other stuff. So he's going to be F-35A. Um because <clears throat> he's in the air force um but uh but yeah i mean it's uh, you know even the f-15 um if you put enough and ward talks about this the f-14 the f-14 had the famous aug 9 uh radar and it was a very it was basically an AWACS level of radar in a fighter like it was an insane amount of radar energy so if it were a flashlight that would be like a searchlight like a midnight yeah. sun on a helicopter and with that amount of power going down range in the RF frequency band, um, stealth doesn't mean as much as you would think. So even the F-15C and especially the F-15EX, uh, <clears throat> they can see a lot of things that, that have a low uh, radar cross-section or RCS. So like an SU-57, even directly from the front, is still going to be detectable at quite some range. Uh, and, and I mean with a weapons-grade lock. They're not just going to know that they're there. They're going to be able to do something about it. Um, and that's and like I said, F-15C, that's not new tech. And the F-14, even though they deadlined it, uh, you know, that it had the ability to do that. It would They would often, you know, Ward talks about this, they would use that radar. It, it put out enough RF energy that you could damage other people's radar systems permanently if you desired. Um just by the amount of energy you're you're yeah. throwing at them, essentially. Well, so I don't know what a cancer risk about that, but like I would have to be there, right? That same uh, joke account from I, I don't know if they're cross posting from TikTok or if it's just Instagram or what, but <laughs> one that I, I saw on post was you know, Rush, I do got to give you credit. You've detected every single one of our stealth aircraft we've ever flown in your airspace, you know. And then his Russian character, you've never flown any. I have no, I don't have a Russian accent in my repertoire. He's yeah, like, yeah. you've never flown any stealth aircraft in my, <laughs> in my airspace. And then he's back to being the American character. He's like, someone please explain this joke to him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, they, Russia has been taking questionable shots at our aircraft for a very long time. SR 71s, MiG 25s and MiG 31s have been shooting at them uh, and giving chase for decades, you know, uh, back when they were the, the SR, the Blackbird was operational, uh, and it would be in international waters and the Russians did not care ski, uh, <laughs> then or now. So yeah. it's not like this is some big deviation, you know, Putin is a KGB thug. So, you know, the, the, the uh, the interim time where they spent in the crushing poverty ostensibly 
in a, a quasi-capitalistic society it didn't really change a whole lot for a lot of the old dogs there. So, well, and if you look at the leaders in their military, none of them are twenty. So, well, you know, we're not talking about young officers. What's here. What's entertaining to me, and and what's very <clears throat> telling, is that um, these pilots were harassing, uh, you know, okay. which I mean, Predator is a, a capable drone, you know. Mm-hmm. The, you didn't. The, it, this wasn't some, you know, like quad rotor DJI. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, a capable yeah, right. drone, but they would not have done this with any of our combat aircraft. Oh no! Now they they well, pull crap. They like likely this. wouldn't have ended up behind any of our combat aircraft. China had, <laughs> you know, China, Russia, both. They like to go and, uh, you know, play cowboy with our surveillance flights and international airspace and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there there's no. Nobody's going inverted and keeping up international relations a la Maverick with our combat <laughs> aircraft. They just it just does not happen. Yeah, no. Because it's, uh, even as you've already illustrated, even with our previous generation airframes, they're still outclassed. Yeah, it's a you know, and I don't I don't say that flippantly. Uh, you know, we we need fifth generation airframes, which are which are which are among other things. Um, the F-22 would be the archetype for that. So that would be the first fifth generation fighter F-22 and the YF-23. Like you and I joke about, you know, we, we were far ahead enough, far ahead of the, enough ahead of the game that we built two the, the two best stealth, uh, uh, air to air superiority fighters ever made. And we just decided to not make one of them. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we <laughs> the, built... F, the YF-23 would be better than anything else that exists on the world now, aside from the F-22 and the F-35. Yeah, there, so there's arguments to be made over what would be number one, and those, yeah, who, yeah. those who worked on the YF-23 make a strong case for why they should have won that bid. It is a dope-looking jet. Oh, my gosh. it's It looked like the future. It was fire, man. It, it really um, did. It, you know, it's a, they were both great jets. I happen to think the YF-23 uh, uh, could have made a very, very excellent uh, aircraft. It actually had a lower uh radar cross section it wasn't as as it, it the uh, yf-23 uh by paul metz he was the test pilot for that um he um and the peninsular seniors uh youtube channel actually interviewed him at length the long form he gave a, a, an exposition speech uh, uh to this group of people but talking about that and it was super maneuverable as well i mean uh, on par with the f-35 but what the YF-23 was capable of was a higher top speed. It was a more aerodynamically efficient airplane because the F-22, if you look at it, it's got vertical stabilizers in the back that are V'd out, kind of like a Super Hornet. And they have uh, stabilators back there, which we would call elevators. <clears throat> and then it has wings. And the YF-23 eliminates two of those four rear control surfaces. And it uses kind of like the YF-17, the F- the, I'm sorry, the F-117, the, the, the Nighthawk. Um, it uses a V-shaped, like like the old Bonanza uh, uh, propeller-driven aircraft. It uses a V-shaped tail that literally eliminates the 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 drag from two of those surfaces because they just don't exist. And uh, it did not use thrust vectoring, but it could still do all kinds of crazy stuff. But it was thrust vectoring in terms of you know the regimes in which you use it to engage other aircraft is not going to get used super often things you can use you know so so benefits and this is a little bit of a knock against the f-35 and it's in, in favor of a lot of fourth gen so you know the f-15 the f-16 um uh you know the f-14 when it was around um 
uh, and the F-22 is they're fast. They can get, uh, you know, you know, up to close to Mach 2 pretty quickly. And when you are uh, in the regime of, uh, of flighting, of, of engagement, of engaging in a, an air-to-air enemy, you start in BVR, uh, beyond visual range. So that's where you can't physically see them, but you can see them on your, on your sensor suite. Whatever speed that you're going at, you add to whatever missile you launch. And a faster missile is a much harder to evade missile. So if you're, you have a Sparrow, right? And if it's, if it's capable of going Mach 2.5 alone and you are doing Mach 2, well, now it's a hypersonic missile. Now it's doing Mach 4.5. So that's a completely different ballgame. Right, you have transformed radically transformed. So if you get it up into thin, thin, clean air, so if you can zoom climb like an F fifteen, uh, even the original versions, they had a higher than one to one thrust to weight ratio, so they could actually accelerate in a vertical climb, like straight up, uh, if they were loaded lightly and cleanly. So if you're in a situation where you have a powerful aircraft like that, they can get to altitude fast and get and also be fast. They can get these missiles off, and these missiles can cover great distances. So their range increases, and their time, their closure time to a target becomes much, much less. So I mean, by the t- essentially, if if that other plane isn't doesn't have their main radar facing you, they're probably not even going to know that missile's there until right before it strikes them. And even if they know it's there, they're not going to be able to even put in a control input on their flight services on their plane. So speed is good. F thirty five. Is a it, we? It's an amazing aircraft. It's our aircraft going into the future. Um, it is still can't carry the one weapon it was supposed to, which is the Aim Nine X, which is why Block Four is going to do a little bit of fuselage redesign. <clears throat> but you know the F thirty five is a great. You know it is our future aircraft. You know it's supposed to carry us. You know fifty years in the future or more. Uh, Block Four is bringing a bunch of really great upgrades with that. But there are some arguments. You know when you when you spend. So far, you know what one 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 point two trillion something like that. There are some arguments that if you would have had moderate expenditure before now on fourth gen aircraft, or at least investment in those, that we would be, you know, in a different spot, maybe less dependent on it. Because, for example, like the F fifteen was supposed to take over from the F four Phantom. And we didn't build enough of them. So because we didn't build enough of them, because it was, quote, too expensive, we had to build a bunch of F-16s. Now, we built a ton of F-16s. I don't know how many airframes we built, but it might be over a 1,000. Um, a lot of them. <clears throat> and then same with the F-14, right? We spent all this money developing the F-14, which at the time was the most expensive fighter in the world. I think in today's dollars, it's like $15, $15 billion or something like that. Um, might be, it might be more than that, but it's... You know, it was an expensive aircraft and its flyaway costs were expensive. And, and you know, it, it was asked to do everything and then they hamstrung it. The, you know, the reason the original Top Gun has a plot is because the uh, F-14 came with the Pratt & Whitney TF-30, which was originally used in the F-111 Aardvark, a bomber. It's not a fighter engine. It wasn't designed to be. The Navy kind of got lied to or lied or whoever you want to pin it on. You had this great aircraft. You had this pinnacle aircraft, and in some ways, it's actually better than an F-15. You had these garbage engines that went into it. They didn't make power. They were susceptible to compressor stalls, which is why, you know, the, the first Top Gun is why Goose died. It's why they entered into a flat spin, um, which that was a thing. Um, and anyway, it just it, it was an underperforming, very unreliable engine, very maintenance-intensive but you have these these aircraft, so they didn't build enough F-14s, and thus the Super Hornet, I'm sorry, the Legacy Hornet was able to kind of edge its way in and say, okay, cool, I can support you at a lower cost. 
And then, you know, the debacle came in the early 90s, and there were a lot of people in Congress that were angry about budgets and stuff. They were happy to spin on other things, just not that. Um, and uh, and then the F-14, the, the production stopped, and that resulted in the, you know, them stop, you know, a cessation of flying. They actually uh, uh, went, they, they all got deadlined in like 2006 or seven. Yeah. But these older airframes, F-15, F-14, F-16, still do things that the F-35 doesn't do. Um, they still uh, are very, very deadly. If any of our adversaries had them, it would be a big problem. It would be a seriously challenging issue. If they had airframes that were just that maneuverable, that capable, those sensor suites, whatever, even though they're compromised by today's standards, um, so, you know, we're in the situation where, you know, like in 2011 or 12, we spent $6 billion to redesign a part of the F-35's airframe just to, so it could save about 2,200 pounds. And they did. They actually beat the goal. So I think they saved 24, 2,600. $6 billion with a B. I mean, <clears throat> that, yes, that the, might be the entire F-16 program cost. What does an F-16 look like? with six billion put into it i don't know it'd be a pretty ba aircraft it's going to be better in every way so but the f-35 is what we've got right so these f-15s are timing out airframe wise um you know f-16 same where they're just reaching our time f-22 so that brings f-22 we because the f-22 cost went away the f-22 is supposed to replace the f-15 but it was it was expensive enough. We originally ordered like seven hundred of them, and then it got cut down to four hundred. And then we only ended up making like one hundred ninety eight of them, or something like that. And uh, because we made so few of them, then we forced ourselves into having to spend a lot of money on the F thirty five as opposed to upgrading F twenty twos right now. So you know, so it's so part of the problem of past programs is we haven't invested enough in them. We cut them off at the knees. And then have to do something new later. So in that way, I understand why they're dropping all this coin on F-35 because they want it. They realize if you just like abandon it, you still need something that can fulfill this role. So, But Block 4 is supposed to be – it's going to carry some engine improvements. Uh, F-35 is going to basically get better in every way. It's The F-35, people don't understand about it. It's, it's an airborne uh, AWACS, airborne early warning. So it's this incredibly powerful – networkable uh AWACS platform in the sky that has very very long range uh intelligence gathering ability in every like from like dc all the way up to like satellite bandwidth like 25 gigahertz or something insane like that so it can collect data on a battlefield on other aircraft on other vehicles uh and then distribute target locks to other vehicles so they talk about the f-15ex using as a missile truck um, so, cause it can make so much power. They can carry like, I don't know, 20 something missiles or something ridiculous like that. Um, so, you know, you have an F-15 EX sitting, you know, 60 miles back and an F-35 quietly loitering. No one can see it there. You know, they don't even know it's there. And, uh, and just like a little orchestra conductor saying, and you get a missile and you get a missile and you get a missile. And then all of a sudden enemy aircraft start dropping out of the sky, like they're unplugged from the matrix uh so so that's kind of the current thesis uh and doctrine and i think it's got a, a high likelihood of success but you know we need the f-35 to be good and it is good um but it, you know there, there are certain things that decision design decisions they made you know it's supposed to be 75 percent parts commonality we're at like 22 percent now between the three variants the, the a the b and the c um there's still good aircraft but we could have designed 
three purpose-built aircraft and had not a lot less parts commonality. Um, yeah, I mean, so, this, you know, the F-35 has always been an area we've disagreed on. And while I am loath in general to defer to a single source on anything, um, you know, all of your complaints and criticisms of the F-35 has, have always been trumped uh, for me by one fact, and that fact's name is Good Deal Dave Burke, um, who <laughs> is this absolute unicorn of a fighter pilot um, who I, we've probably talked about Dave, I don't think on our episode with you, but I'm sure I've mentioned him on the podcast before, if for no other reason than his delicious afterburner orange flavor of Jocko Go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did get that. Uh, yeah. Dave was a Marine fighter <clears throat> pilot, um, which there's a unique breed in and of themselves, the Marines fighter pilots. Um, but he just put together this just absolute unicorn resume during his time in service. And then mm -hmm. as a Marine fighter pilot, of course, he flew um, F-18s and I believe Super Hornets, um, the, the various variants of the F-18. But just through crazy circumstances, Dave also certified in and flew F-22s, not normal for a Marine pilot. He mm -hmm. stood up the Marine Corps' first squadron of F-35s. And he flew, he certified and flew on another airframe as well that he had no business being in. And I can't remember what it is. And I've been trying to look it up in his CV and I, I didn't find it while you were talking, but it was. You say it was a Navy airframe. Was it one of the Hornets, maybe? No, it was either the F 15 or the F 16. It was something else he had no business being it in. It was the F 16. I think um, it was the F 16. There's, you Subject can't, to verification. You're right? not going to find many pilots um, that flew in all of those airframes. Mm -hmm. um, you're. It's you can find plenty of F-35 pilots these days standing up a squadron for the Marine Corps is its own special thing. Um, mm -hmm. Dave also happens to be a Top Gun graduate, was a Top Gun instructor, and was the lead Top Gun instructor. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone on the planet that understands aerial combat, the ways we fight it, and the tools we use to fight it and the tools that other use use to fight it in the current state of the world and of all everything he flew and of everything that's available out there. Dave's a massive believer in the F 35. And that's, that's all I, there. There's also, there, there's also this. And again, I like to have you on because of how much you love to dive into these things and how much uh, you never flown anything uh, that I'm yeah, aware yeah, of no. and your knowledge of these things is still impressive. That said, if, if somebody like you knows everything there is to know about the F 35 airframe, all three of them at this point, um, that would be grossly negligent of our, our well, military yeah, yeah, and intelligence services. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think there's probably still some tricks up the sleeve there too. I think that even just today, again, not even seeking it out, just normally how I live my life, not just, Oh, Colin's coming on. What are we going to talk about? I came across a video of a Canadian pilot who was actually the, the first pilot that ever flew any fourth gen aircraft for them talking about mm -hmm. his experience in the F-35 saying he, he's, this was, it was so obvious. He's like, this is such a sea change, such a giant leap. Like this was so clearly a new generation of aircraft, like basically oh, describing yeah. it as incomparable across generations. Well, so yeah, it's so the guys that are sitting funding. behind the stick in these things 
are happy with them. Now, the libertarian in me, boot, let's sit and bash um, the money side of the F-35 and of the way the government does procurement, particularly with the military-industrial complex, all day long. Um, but I, I'm comfortable. Like, I sleep, I sleep fine at night knowing that our F-35s are in the sky. No, I, 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 I don't, I don't want you to misinterpret. I'm, I'm a big fan of the F-35. I will tell you that I've been privy to information about our fourth gen fighters that they still have capabilities we can't talk about. F-15, F-14, there's still stuff that they do that's really bad. And I, yeah, it's not like you know. If you ask me, I never heard it, which is why I'm not telling you what I heard. But there are some things the F-35 can't do that we needed to do. Uh, one, it's not very fast. It's heat. It's thermally limited by its engine. So, and the coatings on the airframe. So it can't spend very much time above Mach 1. Uh, and certainly not much time above Mach 1.2 without permanently degrading the coatings on the airframe and harming the engine. Just can't thermally dissipate the heat that's generated. Um, two, it can't supercruise. And I will tell you, there is at least one fourth gen U.S. airframe that can supercruise. And it's been around since the 60s. And it's still flying. So I'll let you do the math. So, and I and I say that uh, uh, from uh, my buddy uh, 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 in the Air Force. So he is he is aware of it. So there is a it, it it's it's existed for some time, and that ability to scoot uh, and and own a battle space is really important because you know supercruise is the ability to go supersonic without having to use your afterburner, which is an exponential. Your afterburner uses like twenty times as much fuel. You might have eight minutes of fuel in your airplane without after with afterburner and you could have you know three hours or four hours of flight time without it so um it's very important to be able to go fast without it there are other things that that it doesn't do it it's the f-35 has absorbed all of the defense budget in the past 20 years for airplanes for for air to air fighters so in that way it kind of should be like if you compared a car that has been continually upgraded and the the apple of its uh, say it, let's just say it's a Corvette, the apple of its eye, and then you compared it to a vehicle that literally got the plug pulled on any development back in like 1990 or earlier, so 30 years. Uh, of course, the new one's going to be better. It should be better. It better be better. Um, and it is. The F-35 is better in a lot of ways. Um, my problem with it, and this is per people who, and again, my buddy who's transitioning to the F-35. He said his biggest, biggest worry right now would be meeting another F-15C in this guy. And he would be very worried. And, and he's currently in, in the F-35. So, uh, and he is a combat decorated, uh, so very similar to Dave, I would imagine. I don't want to come, it's not like a competition between resumes, but this guy's multiple combat tours. Uh, he ran hard cap uh, uh, over the White House during uh, uh, more than one presidency. Uh, and 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 vacation spots, uh, if you will. So literally, re- hot, ready on the line, missiles on the wings, over domestic soil, and he's been supersonic over, among other places, South Florida more than once uh, to address air threats. So, um, so anyway, so he's you know he's he's happy. He's his his whole thing was he said, hey, it's great to be in the program that is getting all the funding. He's like, it's great to not be with the redheaded stepchild of funding. He's like, you know, the F-15C is an amazing aircraft and he loves it. Um, he went up against 35s in the F-15C unencumbered 
and uh and he still he he's honest he says i he misses it a lot he said the f-35 is a lot easier to fly uh, and ward carroll talks about this it's easier to fly in some regimes it flies itself there was one carrier mishap where a naval aviator potentially if they were in a rhino a super hornet um they may not have had that landing mishap and thus lost aircraft if they were in a super hornet because a super hornet still assists you as you land on an aircraft carrier but it's much more manual process uh and thus those skills were much more sharp um you've got generations of pilots now they're in f-35s and they're used to this plane doing things for them and when the plane isn't able to do things for them eh, things can get kind of bad so um so we but we're in an area of dependency so you know the f-16 has that uh uh, CFIT, the controlled flight into terrain uh, a system where if you if you G out, you black out, it will actually take control of the airplane to keep you from flying it like the side of a mountain or whatever. Um, uh, so and that's been around for several years and that technology is incorporated in the F-35. And that's good, right? That's a good thing to have. Um, but the F-35, it is, it is the date we are taking to prom for the foreseeable future. The NGAD, NGAD, the Next Generation Air Defense or whatever that acronym stands for, that's a next generation fighter, but the F-35 is going to be the new F-16. It's going to be the backbone of our Air Force for the foreseeable. And it is good, and it's getting better. It's the obscene amount of money we're spending on making it better. It, it, I mean, it's, it's a joke and a good thing. Like, it's definitely getting better, but, you know, <laughs> you're paying Ferrari money. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, it better be better. So, But it is. It is getting better. I mean, we're about to put a brand new radar in it, the APG trying to remember um and it's the uh the apg an uh geez trying to remember the name of it it's a brand new uh the AD, the ap an apg 85 it's got the 81 in it now which is probably the best radar in the sky right now that's not an AWACS. And then the 85 is going to be like even better. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be like stronger, well, more efficient, and, more effective, and, longer range, even smarter. Just the, you know, the, the trickle down tech to where our fourth gen airframes have benefited of. Yeah. The F-15 EX actually has a very similar radar that has directly benefited from the F-35. And that was a, originally a cutter contract airplane. So Q-A-T-A-R. Even just um, moving into the integrated targeting and and tech and heads up displays in the helmets and to yeah, uh, yeah. to the extent with you know in the fifth gen airframes it, it, the pilots are essentially flying in Wonder Woman's invisible plane they can basically look through the airplane and ta- it's WYSIWYG <laughs> yeah. it's what you see what I'm looking at is what I'm about to kill regardless well, of where right my now, airframe is pointed. Ward Carroll interviewed uh, an F thirty five pilot and he said right now not many people are using that. Uh, not many pilots are using that, but it is a capability of it. Um, the big thing is that the, the F-35 has the the helmet that is the advancement of the F-18 Super Hornets. F-18 uses what's called the JHMCS, is the Joint Helmet Mounted Queuing System. The head up is is partially in your helmet. The F-35, the head the heads up display is in your helmet. There's yeah. no HUD on the front of the cockpit at all it doesn't exist because it's in your helmet those helmets are like four hundred thousand dollars a piece those are very expensive they're fitted to each fighter pilot but those yeah no they they have a bunch of they have you know your night vision is integrated in your helmet you know your thermal is integrated in your helmet and all these different other sensor suites that they have 
uh, and they can choose, pick and choose what they want to see. So different pilots want to see different things at different times. They have an easy way to toggle in different flight regimes. So if you're refueling, you don't really give a shit about, you know, a lot of target acquisition or any of it. You just want to make sure you can, you know, get on that nozzle and not wreck your aircraft. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's a huge step up. Um, uh, you know, what actually, uh, uh, Hazard Lee, H-A-S-A-R-D, Lee is another YouTube channel. It's really great. And he's an F-35, F-16 pilot. And, he, and what he said, the biggest development um, uh, in the F-35, and his most recent video, I think, was about this, was the ability to use a restroom in it. And he said, basically, and, and it's a huge advancement. Like it's, so I don't know if it's live in the F-35 or if they're getting ready to debut it and it's just like partially deployed. But it is just this, I mean, because basically what pilots and, you know, men and women have to do is they have to, you know how you steer the car with your knees? Don't ever do that. Okay. But, you know, do you, I'm sure you all have a friend who's driving on the highway and they're eating a Big Mac and they're steering the car with their knees, right? That's basically kind of what they have to do. Like they have to use both hands and they're literally flying this airplane, you know, while they're trying to get in this tiny little cockpit in a seat that's designed to hug their body. They have to like wiggle around to be able to use the restroom and and they've been strategically dehydrating, uh, which, which I don't know if you know, but dehydration hugely affects your G tolerance just a minor dehydration can reduce two or three G's off, you know, before you red out or blackout. I mean, it is, it's super bad, but they're doing it because during these long flights, you don't have any other choice. What do you do? Pee in a bag and possibly miss, uh, or, or what's and this has happened. This has resulted in actual pilot deaths. They're actually peeing in a bag. Uh, and then they bump the stick. And before you know it, you're in a snap roll. That happened in F-16, you know, their roll rate so tremendous. The roll rate, I believe, is higher than the F-35. It's insane. And they literally just get your 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 helmet pinned against the canopy and you end up and you end up blacking out and bye. Uh, and it's so it's resulted in pilot pilot deaths and loss of airframe. So that's a huge, it's a huge benefit. I can't imagine, you know, having to be in that environment and you're you're sweating and you're working and all this other stuff. And oh, by the way, you can't eat and you can't use a restroom. So that's a huge area where the F-35 is helping pilots become much more proficient. There's not another airplane like fighter in the world. Like, I mean, you have to be in like a bomber or something, right? So this is way ahead of other countries. Way easier for our pilots to be physically like getting better sleep, right? Physically more prepared to be more aware. And that's a huge thing. So, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's getting, you know, and I don't know if you've seen, we're actually using, uh, we're actually unmothballing F-117 Nighthawks to use as aggressor squadrons now, which I think is very cool. Because they're still they're, they they have like a modified non afterburning original Legacy Hornet turbojet engine, so they don't make a ton of power, and they're not particularly maneuverable. You can't see them though; <laughs> they're very stealth. They have a very low, even now, they have a very low radar cross section. It's like a, a, a tenth or a twentieth of a SU fifty seven Felon. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah. Even even using that old tech and that weird looking stuff, uh, so they're still using those now to polish up our tactics. And and you know using against our our boys and girls um, to try to, to to enhance our tactics and help us comprehend what it will mean to to engage a near peer threat like that. And I I think that's super cool. I mean, you yeah. know, it's the it's the the stealth fighter is what they used to call it, and it's the plane from our childhood, right? Yeah, call, but call uh, they're still flying. Call me when we're flying blackbirds again. I, yeah, I know, right? No, yeah, I would love it. No vehicle 
of any type ever built for any type of transportation has ever exceeded the coolness and sexiness of the SR-71 Blackbird. Nothing. I know. Nothing. <laughs> and we've both seen them in person, right? Not You've that, seen them in not, a museum, not, so have I. I've yeah. never seen one in person. Really? For all I've the times I've been to D.C., I've never made it out to Dulles to, to see them. Uh, well, I um, saw it at Dulles, and then I also saw it at the Boeing Flight Museum, the Museum of Flight uh, over uh, south of uh, downtown Seattle. And they had a little bit of everything there. They had a Concorde. They have uh, one of the VC-35As. It's the one that uh, Kennedy flew to Dallas on, but not the one that was going to carry him away, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, first 747, first 737, B-29, B-17, Tomcat, uh, all kinds. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, crazy cool. And they have a legitimate SR-71. It's actually an A-12 uh, variant. It's the one that carried that, that stealth drone. That, that hypersonic stealth drone that we were working on back in the 70s. Um, the A-12 was a precursor to the 71. It was run by the CIA. And the A-12 was actually more stealth than the SR-71. It had some stealth features that were included that the SR-71 omitted. They're very, very similar. And the SR-71 is based on the A-12. But the A-12 is slightly shorter, doesn't carry much fuel, as quite as much fuel. It's quite a bit lighter. And it was actually faster So uh, because it was lighter. Um but uh, but they look like you'd have to be some type of autistic person to look at them. I have to squint, you know, to to look at them and know, okay, that's an A12 or that's an SR71. Um, same engines, same general, you know, design or whatever. But the A12 was flying in the early sixties, so that that was the precursor to it. And then they essentially refined it, and it turned it into the SR71. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it's an inherently cool aircraft. The, the fastest it's been, the SR-71 was speed limited by, you know, the aero spikes, the, the spikes that are at the front of its engines that actually move in and out. They move in and out to prevent supersonic air from getting sucked into the engine because that can actually cause a, what they call an unstart. But the fastest that they had one was Mach 3.4, according to the pilots that flew them. And the reason they couldn't go faster is because that aerospike couldn't move enough to push the supersonic shockwave out of the engine inlet. So the engines in the airframe itself could actually go faster than that. But it was just geometry. It just couldn't, you know, as soon as you start admitting supersonic air to the engine, you you, you break them, you turn them well, off. Well, you know, it, so. it by design, um, well, I say by design because they, they, couldn't, they couldn't mitigate it, so they dealt with it. Um, it leaked fuel just because of expansion because of temperatures mm -hmm. I, yeah <laughs> like the the amount of friction that you're dealing with at that point and the temperatures generated i mean you start to get into dealing with re-entry here i mean <laughs> oh yeah and it's funny because it's a mostly titanium aircraft and we totally lied to russia and bought it all all directly from them. we paid them for it and they sold it to us and I had no idea <laughs> they they sold us all the titanium and we never you know they had such great camera suites that we, we, you know, officially they say they never flew in over Russian airspace. They would, but it had side looking cameras that were, um, had telephoto lenses basically, but yeah, they were mostly titanium. Even the tires have this weird silver coating, um, on them. That's supposed to make them heat resistant and they're filled with nitrogen, uh, not, not air because otherwise they would, uh, uh go poppy pop. Um, no, they're fascinating aircraft. They still look like future machines, even when you're up close to them. Um, the uh, the engines themselves are just meticulously built and just they look incredible. So no, I'm a, I'm a big 
I'm with you. Like I've, you know, since I was a kid, um, I'm a big F 14 Tomcat guy, honestly. Um, I think they're really, really neat. They're really cool. Um, they weren't as bad as some people gave them uh, credit for. And then when we, when we quote upgraded to the super Hornet, uh, it was really a downgrade in, in a lot of ways. Super Hornet was cheaper to fly. It was, it was less maintenance intensive, but it didn't do anything as well as the Tomcat. And that, especially the B and the D models that had the upgraded general electric engines. Um, Dude, it, I, I you know, never forget. I can't remember what like carrier museum I was at, but I'll just never forget the first time I saw one in person. They're so huge. Oh, they're enormous. Massive. They're, when their wings are swept forward, they're bigger than a B-17. Like the Super Fortress, like yeah. the bomber in World War II. It's just like dude, they have a wider wingspan than a P seventeen. But just the fact that we were flying these things off boats, and they're massive. They're yeah. I mean, they're just gigantic. Where do you keep these? On oh, my boat. <laughs> yeah, right. It's on my yacht. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I I think they, the swing wing cons. I I think they look cool. Um, you know, for a Top Gun generation, I mean, they're really neat. I was fortunate enough to see them in a couple air shows uh, as a kid and as a young adult. Uh, I think you were the same. I think you got to see the Tomcat. And I, I got to see, fortunately, all those airframes, F-15, yeah. F-16, Tomcat, um, and uh, and the F-22. So the F-22 at Daytona, uh, Daytona Beach, uh, in an air demonstration they did there uh, several years ago. That was back in 2009, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, it's a, they're special air, air, aircraft. And they were, at their time, the, you know, the Tomcat was the most advanced fighter in the world it was certainly the most expensive no other fighter that could could project force like like a tomcat could f-15s have to be you know ferried around and they have to you know they're they're land-based right but the f-14 there was another fighter on the planet that could have that loiter time and the ability to cover all this vast area and just deny an enemy's ability to operate in it um and f-14s had that unique ability because they had those swing wings they could fly really slow and really efficiently um and their body you know if you look at them they're the engine cells are spread very far apart like i mean i don't know if they're like six feet apart or not but like i tried to have meg take a picture of me behind one of them with me with my arms outstretched on either side and uh, and i don't know if i would have been able to touch them in the tunnel and they could carry four or six uh phoenix missiles like in that tunnel right there. And that tunnel is actually a lifting body. So the, the bottom and the top, the fuselage behind the cockpit between the engines generates something like 40% of the lift. Uh, and the wings only do 60%, something like that. But it generates an enormous amount of very efficient, very low drag lift. Yeah. Um, and because of that, they could fly very quickly and very slowly, uh, pretty efficiently. Uh, they could bring a lot of weapons back to the ship. Um, they could carry a lot more weapons off of the ship. They could stay in the air longer. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, they, they had a bunch of plans for them to improve them, but they never really got around to it. Uh, you know, they, they just crushed that program and, you know, said, oh, we're going to move forward, you know, and they bounced between a bunch of different, you know, they were, they were doing the, the Navy had their version of the F-22 and then that was abortive. And then they went into something else and then that didn't work out. And they did a moderate upgrade program for the, uh, the Super Hornet. Um, you know, the Super Hornet is, they call it the Super Hornet. It's a completely different airplane from the Legacy Hornet. They just called it the Super Hornet because they didn't want to scare Congress. It's a totally different airplane. It's bigger. It has completely different. It shares almost no parts with it. Totally different engines. It's bigger, longer, faster, heavier. Uh, the wings are a totally different design. <laughs> like it's a different airplane completely. Uh, it just bears a, um, a layout 
uh, uh, similarity. Like if you don't see them next to each other, you don't realize how much bigger a, a super hornet is and a legacy hornet. Yeah. Um, and quite a bit more powerful. I mean, they make a lot more, you know, the blue angels are running super hornets. Now you can tell super hornet has that steady, looks like it's a, a part of a circle on those front. They're called lurks leading edge root extensions. Uh, that the, the round parts that are by the cockpit and kind of lead back into the wing. Um, the legacy Hornet had kind of a curly Q looking thing. It looked like a, a treble clef uh, coming off the front of the plane and leading into the wing. Yeah. Um, I was actually at the, uh, it might've been the the second show that the uh, blue angels did with their super Hornets. Oh, I haven't ago. seen one yet. And I'm dying. It, was, it would be better to see now being, it was only their second show. Of course, they're incredibly rehearsed and practiced before they ever oh, yeah. do the demos at all. But it's still like you could tell they weren't as comfortable. They weren't as uh, um, what's the word I want to say? They just weren't as comfortable with them. As... Yeah, I mean it's a bigger, more powerful. I, there was a, a YouTube series where they were talking about upskilling into them, transitioning into them, where they had to take a year off. And it might have been one of the COVID years or something. But uh, no, it's it's a it's a lot more plain to handle. Um, it's a lot more plain to handle for sure, and I, I think it's great. They're louder. Uh, they're a lot louder than the Legacy Hornets. I saw multiple Blue Angel shows with the Legacy Hornets. And if you don't have, you know, to our audience, if you don't have a chance, you got to see a Blue Angel show before you die. Uh, I think I, you know what, I took the wife to, it was the Jacksonville Naval Air Station, I believe is where I saw that. And they were a, they were allowed to do some crazy stuff there. I mean, it was like, you know, normally you go to civilian airfield uh, and they have that no energy towards the flight line rule. That rule was not in effect. <laughs> they let they, the planes were flying over your head. Uh, one of them, it, I swear, a blue angel gave me a haircut. It it like came to, from directly behind you, and this hap- I happened to be in the place of the flight line where it crossed directly over to me, and it looked like every war movie you've ever seen. Where I ducked and I almost ended up on the ground. It was so loud. I had hearing protection, and it didn't matter. The whole body, the ground shaking. As soon as it flew over, it went completely vertical and full afterburner. It, like right over the runway so like the ground is like your chest is just just vibrating and it was a very visceral experience and uh, the precision and the power is a, a blue angels hard mark and then one could say the thunderbirds as well um, yeah i was gonna but, say uh, my my sister and, and her family they're they're really into the air shows and have gotten to know a lot of the pilots and they go a lot and my sister's a, a great photographer and has a lot of great equipment yeah. so she takes great shots and prints them and takes them and gets the pilot you know even the demo pilot stuff like that to sign them mm-hmm. and, uh they always think i'm crazy but i've always enjoyed the thunderbird show more you know what it's a, it's a very solid show i don't know I'm going to ask you to not ask me to pick a favorite. How's that? No, because they're both really superb. No. I mean, they're the best pilots. It's They're the best show pilots in the world. Like no one else is doing the stuff Thunderbirds and the Angels are doing. Uh, it's incredibly special. And it's not like anybody who looks at it. Like don't watch a YouTube video of it. It doesn't do it justice. It's no. going to look boring. Now, you got to go see it in person. I'll say this. My all-time best uh, demo experience was the Angels in that there was a year – that I was um, in Baltimore on the 4th of July um, and the, uh, the angels were doing a, de- a demo on the, on the 4th of July. And so um, they were doing it with, uh, let's see, I wanna, Fort McHenry wasn't like show center. Show center was out over the water. 
but mm-hmm. I was watching from Fort McHenry. So I'm literally standing on the ramparts with the Star Spangled Banner flying behind me with the blues doing their show overhead. And it was fire. And it was preceded by an on-water demo by a SEAL team complete with their uh, Mark V jet boats. So it, that was a <laughs> solid day as an American. Yeah, no, that's a banner day right there. That's yeah. a great day. Yeah. So yeah, I will say backtracking <laughs> only slightly that the uh, SR-71 uh, and by extension, the the A twelve or YF twelve are why I'm not so easy to convince that we've been visited by uh, aliens, because yeah, I they agree. were developed <laughs> they were developed and tested in the mid to late fifties, went into service in the sixties, and if either of those airframes, forget flying, forget seeing one in flight, you see one taxiing in like fifty eight, you just saw a UFO. You just yeah, for sure, and then right? you see one in flight. You see one doing its thing. What did you see? Do you see an airplane? Airplanes <laughs> don't look like that. Airplanes don't do that. Airplanes don't go that fast. Yeah, it looks like something out of the Jetsons. No, I'm with you. I mean, they designed those with slide rules and uh, and uh, protractors. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so like the Apollo thing- program. So, like, what can we do yeah. now? Jump things ahead <laughs> seventy years. Let's go ahead and compare phone tech from the mid '50s to I phone know. tech now. <laughs> And then apply it to our most advanced aerial weaponry. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I know Pete Pete Faber saw some things. I just don't know what he saw. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and of course, you know, the DOD is so siloed these days. So, you know, there's very, it, it would not shock me one bit if a program were to exist that no one else knew about. Right, this whole concept of a black program. So you know, no one else in the military knew about—not no one, but very few other people in the military, and certainly no one in the Air Force knew about the A-12 when the CIA was flying it. And not that many additional people came to know about the SR-71. Look at look at Have Blue, right? You know, the Lockheed program that that resulted in the F-117 and then the B-2. Uh, super tight wraps on that thing. You know, super tight wraps. B-21 Raider. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I don't know if people realize the B-2 bomber. Despite the fact that it's absolutely enormous, if you haven't seen a B two in person, they're huge. But they have a lower radar cross section, I believe, than an F twenty two because they don't have any vertical stabilizers, among other things. Yeah. But even though they're enormous, they're tiny. So we can actually get a B two in country in a lot of places where you couldn't get any. Even an F thirty five, you couldn't get it in there just just because. Um, now it doesn't maneuver. I mean, it's a flying wing, but the B-21 I'm excited about. I think it's great. Slightly smaller than the B-2. It's supposed to be much more fuel efficient. Um, and uh, we're going to be able to make a lot of them. Because, again, B-2, same problem as all these other problems. We didn't make – we were supposed to make 100 of them or something like that uh, or, or 50 of them or however many it was. I think it was 100 or 120. We, don't, we, we didn't quite make enough of them to have one per state. And because we don't have enough of them, now we're in the B-21 program because we made those B-2s, stop making them. All the tooling's gone. The factory's closed. The, the production line shut down. You know, the reason we have the F-15 EX is because we were making F-15s under contract for our allies for years. Same with the F-16. And that's the only reason. Because other, other than that, we had, all that would be shut down and we wouldn't be able to start making them again. So the fact that we've been making them for our allies, Japan, Israel, UK, you know, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, you know, wherever else, Australia, whoever else is running them, 
Um, the fact that we had remained producing them in small quantities meant that we could ramp up. And the EX is actually literally just a, a slightly down-tuned uh, uh, cutter version. Uh, but that, that's how they got it approved through Congress, just because it didn't really need any changes. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, no, it's 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 still good to see F-15s flying. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, I'm with you. Uh, aviation is cool. It's very, very neat. Uh, some of our brightest minds are doing it. I think it's awesome. Well, sir, we've done it again. We have done it. We just, we we flew past the two-hour mark, not unlike an SR-71. See what I did there? That's a professional segue <laughs> from a podcast yeah, host there. Uh, we've, we've made it through maybe, maybe a third of our talking, uh, it's more like a quarter. Our talking <laughs> points. Like it's trying to be a little generous. We still haven't even, if you can believe yeah. it, folks, we still haven't even gotten to Colin's greatest passions. So uh, we still, there's still more episodes. <laughs> there's still more episodes. There's, there's still there's, more good stuff to talk there's about. There's plenty to talk about, and that's even with having off-limits topics because Colin insists on keeping his job. Uh, which yeah, is ridiculous, yeah. if you ask me. Um, I like being able to provide for my family. What a selfish person am I, right? <laughs> boy. But, uh, brother, appreciate you stepping up in, in a pinch today. And uh, always a blast. Always great to talk to you. Great way to ring in uh, two years uh, here at the podcast, for sure. And uh, it uh, it won't be the last time. So No. Big, big congrats. Huge milestone for you. Uh, no, I'm proud of you. I, uh, I, I'm not just an investor. I'm also a client. Uh, I, I, I enjoy listening to the podcast. Uh, uh, you know, I, I tend to not listen to the episode or episodes that I'm on, but I always enjoy uh, listening with all the other guests. It's just a great mix. You tend to get so many winners. Uh, basically everybody. I mean, you know, just this really great, you know, diverse, you know, intellectually diverse, uh, a group of, of folks that you, you're able to get to come on. I mean, you know, just fascinating people from all different walks of life. And it's always a treat. So oh, I love appreciate it. that, man. It's, it's a good time. That's why we, that's why we keep doing it, but uh, couldn't do it without you. The listeners love you guys as well. Appreciate you sticking with us today. Uh, if you haven't already, whatever app you're listening on, do us a favor, click subscribe, follow, whatever to let you do. Uh, a thumbs up, a heart, five stars, uh, all that stuff helps the evil algorithms that Colin does indeed work for. <laughs> Tell other people to come and uh, check us out. So ratings and reviews, always uh, a big help. If you haven't already, stop by the website, solid7podcast.com, solid, the number seven podcast.com. There's all kinds of stool, cool stuff, stool. <laughs> There's all kinds of cool stuff on there. Uh, you know, our, our new merch and links to the episodes and uh, our affiliates and ways to support us, all that kind of cool stuff, social media right there on the website. And until next time, we're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, Tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. 
Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events. And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Mm-hmm.